there, bud. I'm drunk. We bought a drunk. Pass the Chardonnay, man. That's new, right? Oof. The pew, pew, pew. Uh, it's been there. It's oh. it's been. There. I guess I just don't really <laughs> care about anything you do. <laughs> Welcome to We Bought a Mic. I am Ernest Calderon. I am Hunter. Jeez, <laughs> this is gonna be a rough one. <laughs> Strap in, folks. And I'm Drew. Twitter in parentheses Dietzen. and you know. Is your is your Twitter handle just Deetson or no? It's actually my Twitter handle is actually Drew and then in parentheses Drew Deetson and then outside <laughs> the quotes Deetson because I think it's funny for your nickname to be your name. <laughs> um, Welcome to the show, everyone. We are yeah, we are rolling this week. How are, how are you guys doing? Is are you guys you guys good? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I have like like my back is like bubbling, like. <laughs> Like the Anderson Pock song, it's like spicy. <laughs> like you could put a chip in there, one and like the, it's one in the back bubbling. Yeah, it's liquidous. It's it's at the boiling point. You're trying to say, yeah, yeah. I'm slipping discs. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we're bringing you a review of Suspiria, but before then, we have plenty of stuff to talk about, <clears throat> um, including the new Red Dead, oh. and some TV ah. and some music. Ooh. Uh, but let's get into the news before that. There's only one bit of news worth talking about this week. Fuck whatever blank director got signed on to blank remake. Yeah. Fuck whatever uh, Marvel show or movie. Or whatever Star Wars movie is not in the works. <sighs> so the only thing we're talking about is Alec Baldwin. Like any other week. Yeah, yeah. Our, this guy freaking cracked me up every single week. <laughs> playing trump it's it's epic it's legit it's lit i don't know if you guys have ever heard of it's this little indie show called saturday night live yeah uh so alec baldwin got into a fist fight over a parking (laughs) spot a hundred millionaire alec baldwin driving his car around manhattan gets into a fist just just fucking get a chauffeur so i have so many questions about this one you're making so much money. Why don't you just have your own Uber driver or get a chauffeur sh- yeah, get or a, something? Get a permanent chauffeur and, you know, make sure he's not like you so <laughs> so he doesn't do that. Number two, I understand parking space is limited in New York. I don't know if you listeners have ever been to New York before, but it's pretty it's a pretty big city with not a lot of parking spaces. So mm-hmm. I understand that. That's why Ubering and taxiing is such a big thing there. Just, yeah. just hop in one of those bad well, boys it's, and you'll you know, be it's, fine. It's like a macho thing. Like the whole having a car <laughs> thing is just super like, no, I'm in control. No, it's all me. If I want to go somewhere, I should get in my car and I go somewhere. It'll but take like, me 30 minutes to go three yeah. blocks and I don't care. But but Alec Baldwin is a, is a fucking prick. Uh, he's not funny on SNL. He's been great in plenty of movies. I can't talk shit about that. But... He like there's he was a, great in the stars born. There's in Mission Impossible Fallout. Yeah, yes, uh, yes, that's what I'm talking about. So funny. He is 
such a dick. There's a leaked voicemail you can find. It was a big story like eight years ago of him just like fucking screaming at his daughter. I don't know if she leaked it, but that would be really funny if she did. Because <laughs> it's just him being like, you're an irresponsible little fucking bitch, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's known that he's an asshole. He's gotten in fights before. He's he's punched paparazzi before. He's prone to fits of rage. So on, on the scale of like The Rock to Mel Gibson, he's kind of... Very close he's to the of, of what, like now. problematicness. <laughs> yeah. Well, The Rock, you know, he's a darling. Everyone loves him. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, that kind of story would never happen. But Mel Gibson, it's like, you know, of course, yeah. he punched it. Yeah, Mel Gibson Concierge said some said whatever. some worse shit in a leaked voicemail. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give him that. Uh, he, he didn't drop the end bomb. I can't so wait good for, for the story that Tom Hanks and Mel Gibson were at like a KKK rally. Yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> not Tom Hanks. It's yeah, it's just it's not even surprising, and he just keeps coming on SNL every week, and it's just not funny, and I just don't want to see him anymore. I just think it's funny that like he probably thinks he's still in LA somewhat. He's like, yeah, I can just hop in my car and sit in traffic for two hours. That's fine. Yeah, he's basically just living like comedians in cars. Like he just hops in some like 1960 Porsche, and it's like manual, which is the worst thing to drive in New York City. And he's just like, no, I'm making it work. <laughs> it's like, no, no, you're you're fucking punching people. All right, let's uh, let's get to some music, guys. I have a quick recommendation to make. A band called Foxing. You guys heard of this band? Yes. Um, it's. You actually, you had a little uh, sneak peek of them last week in the podcast for the listeners that were paying attention. Yes. So, so Foxing, I actually, I saw them in concert. They opened up for this uh, band called Balance and Composure. Oh, God. I thought you were going to say Coheed <laughs> <laughs> They opened up for this band called Balance and Composure, and, like, they're kind of a mix of, like, the Front Bottoms, Manchester Orchestra, and, like, what, like, Brand, brand new, yeah, brand new, a little brand bit. new. Yeah, yeah. Like they have a little bit of that more emo aspect, but the dude's voice sounds a lot like Manchester Orchestra, if like a little bit nasalier. Well, the and... the instrumentals are very Manchester too. Yeah, just very melodic. Um, I really like this album. It came out a little while ago. It's uh, it's called Near My God, and it came out back in August, so a huh. couple months. Uh, but I've I've been getting into it and I just I really dig it. If you like any of those bands that Hunter just yeah, mentioned, they're it's... they're definitely within the realm of shit that we would all like. Um, hey, here's a fun fact. Uh, <laughs> one time, uh, like long ago, I matched with this girl on Tinder. Nice, and she was like, "Yeah, I know, no, no, just not bragging." Uh, <laughs> and she was like, "We were just talking about music," and she was like, "Hey, have you checked out Foxing?" And I was like, "No," and she was like, "Oh, you should, you gotta check them out." Like. You they, gotta. They're the guys are like they're all super chill. One of them like liked one of my tweets one time, <laughs> like, and just jokingly she was like, "Yeah, uh, go check them out, and then you know talk to me again once you check them out." And I was like, <laughs> "Oh, okay." And then I went and found this girl's Never Twitter. Them out. Oh, I found her Twitter, and like all she did was tweet at Foxing. No. <laughs> to, to That's kind of sad. Well, hey, uh, no Tinder yeah. girl, if you're listening to the show now, you know. Get us the hookup. Let's get Foxing on the podcast. Yeah. Let's bring him on musical guests. I, yeah, I can go poly. <laughs> <laughs> if that's what it takes. So this isn't Foxygen. That's a different band. Yeah, and it's not Foxy Shazam, and it's mm-hmm. not Fleet Foxes. Exactly. So Foxing. All right. Good band. All good bands, but this one is just Foxing. Yeah, no, I actually, I really like this. Uh, I didn't really even realize that they had a new album. 
come out. Yeah, I mean, they're you a said super small them. band. Very yeah, easy. no, they have this one song called "The Medic," which was. Uh, I remember whenever I saw them live, I was like, "This song is amazing." I like, think this that, is a really great song, I think but it I might just still never... be their most played on Spotify. Yeah, I think that it, it might be as well. Um, but whenever I saw them live, there was it was their closer that they came out with was "The Medic," and it was just like it really took me away because overall I was like, "Oh, this is a good show," but then that song just like really stuck in my head. And then uh, listen to their new album. It's definitely, I feel like it's the most complete album that they have. They have a song, I think it's called Five Cups, which is like a nine-minute epic song that they have, which is really great. They have a couple other really good songs off the album. I love the song Bastardizer. It's just a really, like, they're really, like, grimy, and they kind of feel like classic emo. That's why I get, like, those brand-new vibes, is it's like if brand-new came out today... This is kind of the vibe that they would get. And off. also, there's some people that throw around the genre math rock. It's very mathy. It's not oh. mathy. No, it's not. It's not very mathy. <laughs> but there's like elements of that. Yeah, it's like geometrical. <laughs> there's it's trigonometrical rock. <laughs> there's like elements of of like this are arpeggiated synths mm-hmm. and like mixing of kind of classical music with beats. It's crazy. Like, there's some really interesting production choices made. Uh, the song Game Shark um, and the song Near, the title track Near My God are both incredible, mm-hmm. I think. The, the, okay. This is front to back, like a really, really solid album. And I think people should check it out. All right. Um, I, it, I feel like, I don't know if it'll make my top 10 of the year, but it's definitely in my top 15 to 20. Like, it's a really, really solid album. And this album has stuck with me more than a lot of other bigger names albums that have come out this year. Like, I've gone back and listened to this album more in the last, like, week or two than I yeah, have very listenable. Jack White's album this year, which is not something I would have expected going into this year, but... Or, like... Arcade Fire, or um, not Arcade Fire, Arctic Monkeys, like something like that, where it's just like this side album has a boob. Lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the moon side boob. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little bit better than that. I'm, here's so. here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna listen to that album, but I'm going to put it in like Audacity and speed it up about thirty beats a minute, and then it's gonna be great. Wait, uh, AM? Yeah, Arctic oh. Monkeys new album. Yeah, yeah. Um, hey, I have a, uh, an album kind of in a similar vein that I can talk about. Um, Pine Grove. You guys know Pine Grove? No. Never heard of them. You guys suck. So they're this <laughs> band. They came They came out with this album called Cardinal in 2016. It's one of my favorite indie albums, like, ever. I, like, I didn't even like it when I first heard it, because it has, it has, like, tinges of uh, country almost, but it's, like, indie americana emo uh rock music and it's so it's extremely unique this guy's voice is it has a signature sound to it and the lyrics are unbelievable he's he's a poet like he writes a lot of poems he's a big you know he's like a a reader type of guy like his vocabulary is insane and it's not like in a pretentious way it is such such a good album uh so then skylight Skylight is the new album yeah cardinals from 2016 okay so here's what happens the next year uh, right when all the Me Too stuff just started, uh, like the stuff with Brand New had just come out, and their singer Evan, who is known by everyone who knows him as this really good guy, all of a sudden he cancels their upcoming tour, and he says, uh, "I'm," and it's this really, really vague, like long message he released to all his fans online, like on Tumblr or something. It was like pages. 
and it was so meandering and it was just like you know i have so many regrets from what i've done i need to oh boy. i just need to reassess like my what i'm doing with my life and things never specifically saying what happened so that was a huge red flag because all pine grove's fans are like manic they this band means a lot to people because their underlying ethos is all about like empathy and loving each other um like so many people have like a pine grove tattoo like they have this it's like two squares their logo that's the cover of cardinal yeah and it it has like some meaning to it but like this band means so much to people so it was like a really weird like no there's no way um this story just came out from pitchfork that detailed exactly what happened and it is fascinating to read. Basically, uh, this woman runs a she runs a company called Punk Talks, and it is essentially like uh, connecting therapists to people that are in music. That like you know, it's just kind of like a connection service. Like they go to punk gigs and they're like, "Hey, do you want to see a therapist or whatever?" Damn. Um, so she runs this company. Evan from the band. Uh, kind of talked to her one night because he was like hey i really could just talk to someone like you're a therapist right and she's she says she is she's not a therapist uh he spills his guts to her he basically says like i really you know i really fucked up uh there's this girl i was really into and i you know basically she was with a guy and i kind of like uh convinced her to cheat on this guy and be with me it was all totally consensual but i really feel icky about it uh and this lady's like, oh, no. Yeah, she just listens. Then she fi- tracks down the girl that he's talking about uh, and, like, makes it into a thing. Be- and the the insidious part of it is that it was to forward her company. there Because emails leaked where she is talking about, like, I'm trying to take down Pine Grove. Like, this is really big for punk talks, etc. Um, and so he... Even though it was like a totally consensual act, there are some weird power dynamics at play there of just him, just the fact that he's like, you know, semi-famous. It's kind of like, just don't do that shit. Wasn't he just stupid to think that this lady was a therapist? Uh, Well, she she said she was. That's the other thing. She presented herself as a therapist. And then she goes and she tracks this one down. And then she tracked down another person who she said was a victim. Like she used that word and she was like, I have two victims of Evan. And the first girl that it happened to came out and she was like i don't want you to do this anymore it was all consensual like you are using me for your company and then the second girl was like i'm not even a victim we i just dated him and like we broke up and now i don't like him anymore but we just dated so both of these girls are like no this this lady like used us for her company but evan essentially he was in contact through a mediator with the first girl and he uh, he had an issue where he was just like, I will listen to whatever you say because I do feel bad about what I did. And she was like, okay, well, I just, you know, I want you to take some time away from music and like maybe just not tour and just kind of reassess. Like there's no presses that can possibly be charged here. I just want you to really think about like that you have power for your position. He was like, yeah, absolutely. So they take a whole year off, cancel the tour. Uh, bands that love them and like were in their circle kind of feel weird about even being around them anymore. So now they were forced to basically like they voluntarily left their label because other bands were just kind of they weren't even saying like, I'm not going to do this. But they were just like, hey, I don't know about that. So he was like, yeah, no, I'll leave the label. They released this new one on Bandcamp. Uh, so here we the are one from this year. Yeah. So here we are with Skylight on Bandcamp. Uh, he didn't actually change it from he wrote it before all this happened. And it's so it's from 2017. And it's good. 
but it is not uh, Cardinal good. It like Cardinal is if you listen to it, it's really kind of an acquired taste. Like I said, it took me like probably a year to like I would just keep going back to it and being like, there's something about that that I like. Uh, this is not as good of an album. Some of the lyrics are weirdly prescient, where he just talks about like. He talks about like putting things on pause and contemplating stuff and stuff like that. Like the lyrics are still there, but it's kind of getting looser in form. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the new album. And it's like it's just a weird situation with Pine Grove. But this, I wish I knew her name. This columnist for Pitchfork, she went in and Jen Pelly. Yeah, it is such an interesting read. This article. Yeah, it's called Reckoning with Pine Grove. Yeah, because like it's it's almost the only like me too type thing i can think of where actually there was something insidious at play the thing that a lot of people want you to think is like oh all these women just want to gain something and that's like never the case and this isn't even a victim trying to gain something it's just some other person that like pushed this all that's so fucked too just because the culture that we live in now that like i mean i understand bands just wanting to separate themselves from it because in the culture that we live in now you just if there's any kind of a negative stigma around any band that you're touring with or anything you just kind of want to cut ties with that band even if you can kind of look into it yourself and know that's not true at this point we live in such like a um headline basis culture yeah reactionary that, it's like yeah. the james gunn effect yeah, yeah it's, and it's, it's trying exactly. to get ahead of it yeah it's kind of like that like because that came from what's his name the guy on twitter um Cern- cernovich? yeah mike cernovich and he the only reason he was doing that was not out of like some moral thing it was to forward his own like viewpoint and to forward his own yeah. name and it's very similar to that uh and so i really even like first of all i recommend cardinal Secondly, I recommend the piece by Jen Pelly. It's really quality investigative journalism because she she went into it. She had started a piece on uh, Pine Grove before any of this happened. And so she had all these interviews with them. And when this dropped, she was like, well, shit, I hate him now. And so then months passed and she was like, well, I got to abandon that piece. Like, this guy's a piece of shit. And then she would thought she was thinking about it. And she read more and more. And she was like, wait a minute, like this might not this might be like the first case of like actually he's not a total piece of shit like maybe he did something wrong but he is not like he doesn't have victims yeah <laughs> that is yeah that is the word he that wasn't was... taking advantage of people yeah right? how I mean, how like, has the more so fan base than... responded i think that a good amount of them are back like it has it's huh. the type of band that has like a decently active subreddit and like like online communities are really about pine grove uh but there's just I think there's a stain on Pine Grove now. And this new album obviously did not reach nearly as many people because it is on Bandcamp, which no one gets on. Except uh, what's his name? Car seat headrest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just for Will Toledo. Yeah, Toledo. More than anything, like I'm not even recommending the music as much. It's just like a crazy long pitchfork article that I yeah. got sucked into. It's fascinating. I'll link it uh, I'll link it down in the show notes for people to check out. It's uh it looks like a lengthy lengthy read but it's cool to see pitchfork doing stuff like this and not just like you know giving childish gambino a four out of ten <laughs> oh another pitchfork piece as long as we're recommending that is uh greta van fleet's new album their review of it is the funniest they absolutely destroy oh, it oh shit um like they it is one of the funniest reviews i've ever read because they you know they hate greta van fleet because everything it stands for is like f- fake kind of have you guys listen to Greta Van Fleet? I've heard I've heard I've the name. I don't think no, I've listened to the yeah, music. I've, I've isn't it very too. kind of like 
you know 80s nostalgic it's, type thing it yeah it's a nostalgia band yeah. you would think that they're a cover band of led <laughs> of uh led zeppelin oh no the singer all he's doing is a led zeppelin impression it's not like it's not like oh he sounds like the guy he's like no he really wants to sound like that guy and then the I feel band like there's a lot of bands like that yeah and then the band itself is like a lot less talented obviously because okay. led zeppelin's probably the most talented band of all time uh and they just go after it because they're like, this band exists and has grown only because of an algorithm on Spotify where Whoa. they want to show older people or people who listen to classic rock new music. And this is the only band they can show those people that's crazy. that they will like. Yeah. And that's why this band is a band. Spotify tells you like, hey, check this out. You'll like it. And they're like, oh, well, I guess like, yeah. you'll like it. Yeah, like, well, it does sound the same <laughs> it as does. the other music. And so. be, yeah, and like if, if I feel like if most of us showed our dads, they'd be pretty into it. Oh, I'm sure my dad already knows who. Greg yeah, Manfleet is. I I listened to their first EP they put out, and I was like, okay, some of these songs are all right, but you listen more, and you're like, this is there's something like dark going on. Like this is yeah, just, this is very this is like a corporate band, and yeah. they don't even know it. It's kind of <laughs> like how Imagine Dragons' new album, the cover art is like a blatant ripoff of Pink Floyd's The Division Bell. Oh, <laughs> it's crazy. I I feel like they knew that though. That was the thing that but that wasn't like, something that they didn't know going into it's it. It's Imagine Dragons, like. Why? Why Pink Floyd? You're Imagine Dragons. Can't like, fight the friction. Come on. Have you listened to their new shit? That guy, that singer, he thinks that they are putting out some important music. <laughs> but, but thunder. But friction was one of the best songs to ever be put in a movie trailer of oh, ever. Yeah. Oh wait, that. Hold on, I'm having a moment right now. <laughs> yeah, friction is. From Mission Impossible Fallout. Yeah, that's that an Imagine by... Dragons. Oh, no. Yeah, and it's freaking epic. <laughs> Can't well, fight the friction. I guess we got to move on now. Let's talk about <laughs> Vince Staples real quick. Uh, yeah, I really wanted to listen to this. He song. put out uh, basically an EP with a bunch of skits in it. It's called an EP FM. that's under the label of an album. It's, 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 it's interesting album. because you got to listen to it from the first track in order. Don't put this thing on shuffle. Like, start at the beginning and then listen all the way to the end. It's super quick. It's like 20-something minutes. It's twenty. It's 11 songs in 22 minutes. I really I really enjoyed it. I think if you listen to it that way, like a one-sitting sort of... It's kind of like uh, Daytona by Pusha T, how it's it's so short that you can just listen to the whole thing in one, in one go. It's like that. All the f- songs just flow together, and they're kind of in this framing device of being like a radio talk show hosted by big boy. It's like they keep saying like big boys neighborhood or something like that. That's in pretty the skits. cool. So it's like, and they have callers calling in and uh, it's, I, I found it pretty enjoyable and, and the production on it is, is great. There's some really good, really good beats on here. You know, I, Vince, like he's usually pretty consistent with his stuff. I don't think he's put out like a bad album ever yeah so it's not a bad album it's it's another good one from vince um <laughs> another good I, one from vince I, I agree that like there's isn't anything bad about this but i also don't think there isn't really a lot to take away from this i was pretty underwhelmed by this like whenever because i saw it for it's called fm exclamation point fm fm and like I saw it was 11 songs in 22 minutes, and I was like, all right, you know, maybe it'll just be a bunch of skits and, like, three good songs. But the fact that this is an album, like, this is his album of the year and not, like, an EP or anything is pretty underwhelming. Really, the only song that I found 
anything to take away from is Tweakin, the last song in the it's album. A good song. But I mean, that's like a three and a half minute song. And then the rest of the songs, it's like as soon as you start to get into it, it's just it on ends. to the next thing. Yeah, you're which right. Which is really annoying. Yeah. Like, it's just really fucking annoying. And it'll just be like, all right, yeah, coming at you now, Kalani. Coming at you now, Earl Sweatshirt. And they give you like a 30 second bar, and then that's it. And then it just moves on to the next song. And this works as like a 22 minute long song, but it doesn't really work. Like I was just kind of underwhelmed as far as like an album goes. Like I just really wanted at least give me like three or four bops out of this thing. I don't really mind interludes and stuff like that. I mean, we never really talked about the Lil Wayne album, which I thought was just like the fattiest of fatty albums that have come out this year that there's some good stuff in there, but you just have to like trench through so much in interludes and everything else. That that album was like six years in the making. Uh, I think Vince plans on putting out more music though. Like I think he has, apparently he has like a few more of these, but he's been releasing an album every year now for three or four years straight. Like, Every single year he's bought an album, and even if it's not like... I mean, he's never going to reach the highs of... um Summertime 06. Of summertime yeah. 06. That was like, 2016. I really... I Like, that or was kind 15. of his peak. Um, But even still, like, I just really wanted more out of this project um, whenever I saw there was new Vince Staples. Well, his last one, really got that. it's called Big Fish Theory, Yeah, right? that was yeah, last year. That, that's a small one, too, and it, it also has, like, some two-minute songs. And I kind of agree where it's just sometimes I was listening to Big Fish Theory, and I was like, damn, that was so good. Like, give me another minute. Like, <laughs> yeah. there's nothing wrong with as it. As soon as you, like, start yeah. to get really into the beat and, like, into the rhythm of the song, then it's just over and it's on to the next Yeah, thing. which is usually, in hip-hop, a lot of the time it can be the opposite, where you get about five minutes and there's no beat switch up or build or anything. Uh, and that can be frustrating, too, but, yeah. I haven't I haven't listened to this, but I had the same issue with Big Fish Theory, where I still really liked it, and I I mean I love Vince Staples. I think that he's kind of you know he has the Midas touch right now. I like his Twitter, his his personality, everything about him. I'm a big fan of. Um, but yeah, it's it's a weird uh, choice. I, I think he's released uh, his five albums have each come out every year. 14, 15, 16, 17, and eighteen. Like he's released an album every single year, but the fact that he's so prolific. It was, I mean, I will say, FM, um, definitely, it has more of, like, a central vibe than Big Fish Theory does, but I feel like Big Fish Theory had better songs. Mm. Like, it had more streamable songs, where, like, if you're going to play a certain song off of the FM, I feel like it has to be tweaking. I don't really know any other song that you could play off of that, because the rest of the songs are all, like, a minute 45, two minutes, and you're like, well... Run the bands, I think. Why? Yeah, run the bands, I guess, but I didn't... I wasn't really huge into that song. I felt like that song was trying too hard to be, like, a bop, Mm -hmm. which maybe that doesn't... That might not necessarily make sense, but it sounded like... The central theme of it sounded like it was trying to be a Drake song, and it just wasn't as catchy or popular as something that would be uh, played on the radio frequently. Conceptually, this reminds me a lot of the Stone Mountain half of Stone Mountain Kauai by uh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's almost like identically. Yeah, conceptual. <laughs> it really is. Like, yeah, because it's it's a radio, and like a continuous radio. It's funny you said that because it bit. really does have a lot of things where it's just like, where uh, you know, whenever you're listening to the radio, it's just like, hey, I'm Ariana Grande. Hey, um, yeah, so and so, I'm Charlie Puth, and this is yeah. FM ninety six seventy five. Yeah, and like yeah, whatever, like that. Like it's that same kind of shit. Or the the skit with the caller. Yeah, that's a. That, I like that one. It was it's funny, like... <laughs> but it doesn't make for like a good rap album, though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, it's no uh, trench by Twenty One Pilots. I'll tell you. <laughs> that that's real hip hop. <laughs> can I be the? Can I be the engineer now? Can I take over or what? Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's talk a little Red Dead. Let's be brief because uh, I thought this said Deadpool too. And oh, I was getting so stoked. Shit. Uh, I'll I'll just start off by saying that uh, this I am really liking this game, but coming off of Spider Man, where you're just zipping around the city so, <laughs> so fast, slow. and you can go to the top of the highest building and look out, and you can see everything that you can possibly go to, to then go to Red Dead and you have to like walk around very slowly or ride your horse very meticulously yeah. across the across the plane of the it map. was it was very jarring for me it took me a while to get mm. into the groove of it and the the beginning hours of this game don't help that feeling at all because <laughs> you're trapped yeah you're like, trapped in the mountains it's there there's a chapter one and then the game doesn't really start until chapter two when chapter two starts, that's when like you're in your camp and you can actually access the open world. Mm. All of chapter one is like setting up the story and you're in the mountains in the snow and it's kind of like setting up all the characters and all the plot points and it drags. It fucking drags, but it's a Western, so it kind of has to. And I kind of like how, you know, the the biggest game literally ever like this game broke the record for the biggest opening weekend of anything ever it was almost like 800 million dollars over the weekend so the the fact that like the biggest thing is making you like chill out and like take your time and savor it i really appreciate that it kind of tested my patience a little bit it was a little annoying but i kind of appreciated that i appreciated that it like made me like shift mental gears a little bit i i completely agree with you because like you said like this is a western and that's what it comes down to is that this actually even more so than the original game this feels like a western how slow it all is like that even if you're just going from point a to point b and it doesn't look that far on your map you have to get there by horse there isn't just like a fast travel button that you can just hit to just like Zip around, or something yeah. you have to just like literally just oh well i gotta go this way and just go along these trails that yeah. are already dug here <laughs> even though i see the point right there i gotta go up this mountain so i gotta go up this trail right here and i kind of love that like this is a bigger game than grand theft auto 5 apparently i mean it's definitely uh dramatically more deeper in that if you just it's it's kind of a mix between Grand Theft Auto Five and like the Fallout games, where if you just see like a shack over there, you can just go over to the shack and like loot some shit from it and find some good stuff. But I'm so far I'm really digging the story of this game. Um, we should say for those of you who don't know, this is a prequel to the original Red Dead 
Red Dead game, so... Get Red. Yeah. So, um, John Marston is in the game, but he is not the character that you play as. You're playing as uh, Arthur Morgan, who's a different character in the gang that John Marston is involved in. And it's really fun. It feels more like a Western, like, classic old-school cowboy game than the first game did just because, like, you can go, like, rob a fucking train if you did. Like, before I came... Before I came over here earlier today, I was just, like... I saw a train coming out. I was just like, oh, I'm just going to go rob this train real quick. So I just rode my horse up there and then just hopped onto the train. And But then you're wanted immediately. Yeah. Because I tried that, and but then people came and killed me. That happens, but it also... This game is hard. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you found this difficulty, yeah. but, like, this game is fucking hard. Like, It's even hard to remember, like, all of the different ways that you can move your character. Like, mm-hmm. there's you have so much control over your character and your horse and your items and everything like there you have so many options that it's it's difficult to even like have it all memorized of all the things you can do i'm assuming that i'm further in the story mode than you um oh yeah i I haven't done anything i literally i set up camp and i've just been fucking around like i just went to valentine for the first time oh really yeah yeah i'm definitely further ahead in the story mode than you i have been wondering a lot wandering around a lot more um one thing that's cool is that um in the original game blackwater was kind of the edge of the map and And this biggest like city blackwater is just a little town in the middle of the map so i just went really far uh really far east and south and i'm like in the bayou like i'm pretty much in louisiana right now like i was just wandering around there and uh i've been doing a lot of stranger stuff um because the strangers that you encounter with are a big part of the first game. But it's kind of funny. I'm just, like, wandering around there, and there's just, like, this whole swamp world and kind of Whoa. stuff like that, Do which you know is we'll totally to, different we'll, from... Will we get to see Mexico? Do you know? I don't know. I I was kind of curious about that because Mexico was kind of, like, half of the map in the first game. So I'm curious to see if we'll be able I to hope go so. there again. I loved Mexico. Yeah, I, I hope to be able to go back there again, too. Escalante. Drew, you, you played a little of uh, Red Dead 2 just now. Yeah, it was, man. You rode off oh, a cliff. So vast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mostly, yeah, I, I got in the horse, and then I found the highest ledge I could find, and I just died. And it was amazing. Awesome. Amazing. It was a great death. I will say, uh, was it red? As far as like, was it dead? No. <laughs> was it redemption? No. It was none of that. No. But uh, two? Was it two? <laughs> yeah. It was, <laughs> but um, I mean, shit, man. It looks the graphics are pretty unbelievable. It's right up there with like God of War of just like everywhere you look, it's like, damn, that looks fucking cool. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, wow, that's that area is it very really, nice. It really <laughs> makes you think about all of the uh, hardworking programmers whose times and lives were abused. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I honestly think that Can this is... Can we talk a little bit about the, the... Let's talk about that in a second. Before we say that, I will say, I actually give this game the nod over God of War, and I think this is the best-looking game of the year so yeah. far that I've played. Oh, like, easily. I like, mean, just the detail. Like, you, you go there to the general store, you put, and you just walk around. I don't around. remember. Uh, maybe I saw it on Reddit or something, but... um. It was just somebody who was just like riding on their horse, and they thought they saw somebody at a distance, so they pulled out their binoculars and they looked over, and it was just an AI of just a lion eating the <laughs> shit out of a deer. 
And it's just like the fact that that's an AI and they just do that in the wild while you're not watching. Like, if you were watching or not, that would have been something that happened. Well, what what I posted on Twitter was uh, a guy on the <laughs> side of the road who was trying to uh, put a horseshoe on his horse. And he was he couldn't get it. He was like, oh, oh, oh. and then I go up and he's and my, my guy, Arthur, he's like, you need a hand, sir. And he looks up and he's like, huh? And the horse fucking kicks him upside the head kills him instantly sick and the horse just rides away into the sunset my favorite thing about this game much like any like rock star game whenever it comes out is how glitchy it is whenever it first i haven't comes seen out. any glitches on this well there's one specific glitch that a lot of people have been taking advantage of oh this glitch yeah, the, yeah, yeah. there's a glitch it's that a uh glitch. it's a gold bar glitch where if you just go over a gold bar and just hold the loot button then you can just keep picking it up until your inventory is full but there was another bars. thing where i was just kind of exploring around and i found because there's all kinds of like little mini encampments in this game like it's so so deep and there's this one place where it's just a uh it's a lumber thing where there's you know just like chopping out trees and all this like kind of shit Peaks. and um there's a thing where it needed me to help a guy it was just like oh god the tree fell on my leg i need you to help me and i looked over and the dude just like laying there like just shaking his leg around but there's no tree on top Aww. of him <laughs> it was <laughs> hilarious it reminds me Lodge. it reminded me of like whenever uh grand theft auto 5 launched their online and it was just so buggy and glitchy but there's like eh, you know this is like half of the fun of playing the game is how glitchy it that is that was brutal i kind of <laughs> love it though i love games that are just super like buggy and it's kind of <laughs> part of the joy is finding yeah. the stupid glitches that are in the game yeah, like in fifa yeah when yeah. the players start flailing around on <laughs> Other. <laughs> they start flying so into good. the stands. It's great. Oh, yeah. All right, let's uh, let's move on to what we've been watching. Um, I'm going to talk about the Deuce real quick. Quick. I know you guys haven't kept up mm-hmm. with it. So yeah, this is me and Ernie. We watched a few episodes. I think and we watched the first two, maybe. Uh, yeah, and then like we watched them like separate viewings, and every time we were like, "Man, that's like probably the best show out there." Yeah, <laughs> it is. Like watch never, it never kept up with yeah. it. It's it's one of those shows. Uh, I think Harry Sayer said this. Um, I don't know if it, when he was on or, or another time, but he said that you always know you're getting a full-on hearty meal every time <laughs> you watch this show. Like, yeah. it's just an hour's worth of just great performances, amazing writing. Yeah, everything sp- is yeah. spot on. That's the thing. Everything Pitch is perfect. pretty much great. And I just wrapped up the first season, so now I'm on season two. And season two just ended, so I need to catch up to... Uh, this newest season mm-hmm. uh i love this show man like my biggest takeaway from it aside from the performances and their ability to like weave all of these different subplots together seamlessly is the sound design Ooh. watch this show and pay attention to the sound it's i think it's the the secret sauce of Ooh. what makes this show so good because mm. whether you're in a bar or on the street or in an empty room or in a crowded room or any environment, the sound is just perfectly realized and there's so many layers to it. There's so many details that you can pick out in the soundtrack that just like make you feel like you're literally there in that space listening to a real conversation. It's excellent. It's beyond excellent. It's like really the best show on TV. So this new season, I'm only like maybe one episode in. I don't think I've seen more than just the, the premiere so far, 
I don't like it as much as the first season because it, it, there was a time jump. It was like five years later or oh, something wow. like that. Uh, so it, it, the first season's like early 70s. This new one's like late 70s. So, you know, people just, they look a little bit more. They'll have, they, do they all have like Coke noses worse. now? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone just looks like shitty. They're all just having a heart attack. Those Francos <laughs> are a little bit more fucked up now. Or yeah, yeah. Well, one of the Francos has like slicked back hair, <laughs> and the other one has like long, shaggy yeah. hair. And only one of them is a sex offender <laughs> in real life. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's that's the deuce. It's great. Maggie Gyllenhaal fucking runs away with it. She's amazing. Yeah, I I like thinking back. It's just like, what can you say that is bad about that show? Yeah, like, no, just I mean, so good. I watched. I also watched the first two episodes, like you guys, and it was amazing. And I don't really know why I didn't keep up with the show because it truly is great. Yeah, it's, it's just long. Yeah, it's long. Is, it's long. It is. Uh, it's, it's time consuming. It's it's uh, brutal. Also. Yeah, we've got to mention graphic. that. Yeah, gr- like graphic nudity, sex, which I cannot watch. Sex <laughs> on, without my mom. It's there. gross. They're just freaking putting like it's no. There's bo- there's nipples on. Yeah, the, also, I they're need not, my mom there if I'm gonna watch yeah. nudity. They're not acting. It's all just fucking. It's all just James Franco just <laughs> forcing himself on these women, which is another uh, stain on the show. Absolutely, <laughs> which will stay on like the whole Pine Grove thing, yeah. but. Uh yeah, it's just crazy good. Lot of, brutal. Oh my god, when the violence it sneaks up on you in this show. Like yeah. you're just like it's you're watching a normal show and you're like ah, like there's just like the most brutal shit you've ever seen. And it's not like Breaking Bad where you're like yeah, there's that there's that brutal shit. You're like oh you're yeah, never cheering for the violence. It always like you are in a yeah, lot of sh- other shows. It, yeah, it always sneaks up on you. Um, I mean, great show. There's not even that much to say about it. It's just great. I just I recommend it. You know, it's uh it's awesome. Very well done. I think they're renewed for a third and final season, so it'll be an easy oh, really? watch. Oh, okay. Yeah, true. So Leftover style, seasons. lovely. Okay. Uh, all right. What have you been watching? Um, well, yeah. So I listen. I really tried to watch Suspiria this week. Uh, <laughs> I go to the fucking movie theater. There, I I have on my phone that they are showing it at like twelve thirty p.m. I have to watch matinees. I have a night job. And I go up and I'm like, hey, one for Suspiria at 1230. And they're like, what are you talking about? (laughs) What is that? (laughs) And I show them on my phone and they're like, hey, I'm sorry, man. We're not. That's just not on right now. And I look at my phone and I realize every other theater is starting. There's matinees at 330. And I just I miss the mark. So I'm you guys have been a little bit sleeping on Big Mouth season two. So I'm just going to talk about it and you guys can just swim in my wake. Next I just want to ask: Did they cancel the Suspiria showing for like another showing of Venom? It wasn't like, even... Venom is such a big hit. <laughs> it wasn't we even need like more Venom it, seats. It just wasn't even like, hey, it's canceled. It was just like, no, <laughs> nope, sorry, I don't know what <laughs> no, that movie is. is. Yeah. I've never oh. heard of Luca Guadagnino in my life. Yeah, um, yeah. Er- Ernie has a good theory that after they saw Call Me by Your Name, they were like, hell no, not in my fucking theater. <laughs> yeah, no more gay shit. Get yeah. that gay. Now shit you have a lady here. playing a man. <laughs> no. <laughs> Regal is owned by the same people as Chick Fil A. <laughs> Honestly, probably. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I want I've been really wanting to talk about Big Mouth season two. Season one uh, kind of snuck up on me as something I really, really enjoyed as kind of scratching the itch of like a dumb comedy show. We have 
we have several comedy shows now and it's almost become like the standard for an adult cartoon that it has to delve into like depression and it has to get very sad and dark uh, and stormy and it has to be pretty intellectual when that is not a requirement like and then we still have shows like Family Guy and South Park that are just really fucking stupid, but like they're not as good anymore. And this show is filling exactly what those guys used to have. Like, and there are a lot of different ways that it's done it. First, I mean, first of all, Andrew uh, Goldberg, the guy who co-created it, is straight out of Family Guy, so he brings in the one thing that was always good about Family Guy is the jokes. Everything else, the show was completely missing. It was missing structure or you know character development or anything like that. So it brings in that, and then it combines it with a premise that I think has kind of cracked the code of how to feel, I think I've told you guys this, how to feel edgy in 2018, mm -hmm. which is a really hard thing to do. You watch South Park and it's like, man, you guys are trying so hard to be edgy. Like they really just think that, they think that like being like in the middle of both sides politically is so fucking cool. Like, yeah. hey, actually, everyone sucks. Yeah, they're like, actually both sides are a little crazy if you think about it. And it's like, yeah, yeah, we've moved past that <laughs> as a culture, we know. <laughs> and and so this show has done it by making a show that is about puberty, which is not something you cannot talk about. In fact, it's something that we all should talk about more, particularly like when we're young. Uh, but it just it's territory that I'm like, how has this not been a thing yet? Like, how have we not had this plot line yet or this, you know, this arc or this character? Like, there's so many things in this show that it's like, I can't believe that wasn't already a thing. Like the the song uh, about the female body positivity. <laughs> yeah. That they, one was so nuts. It's like, I've never seen anything like that in a TV show ever. Yeah, and, and also making the focus about puberty keeps the show focused instead of becoming a family guy of just like every joke is just like in a whole different direction and the result is just a really scattered show. This is a focused show even though it is all over the place. Because you get like a tons of different kind of jokes. There, there's fourth wall breaking jokes. There's you know there's absurdist jokes. There's meta sitcom parody. There's, there's all of yeah. There's straight up like gross, yeah, gross out yeah, humor. Exactly. There's all this stuff, but it all revolves around a central theme, which is something that Family Guy cannot say, um, and that that keeps it focused. Even though like I think my main issue with the show is that there are too many characters. Definitely, uh, particularly in season two. Because we are following, uh, by this point, we know about a dozen students at this school because, you know, they're the ones going through the puberty. Then we have probably like 10 parents that we follow. Like, we know these parents semi-intimately now. Uh, and then... Yeah, Jesse's mom with the, like, the lesbian awakening or whatever yeah, we, is happening yeah, there. Yeah, we have that. We have... And by the way, these, the thing is, like, it's not like I'm like, oh, I don't want to see this guy. These are all, like, good characters, like, particularly the students and the parents. All the humans I do not have a problem with. Um, Cause you have like Fred Armisen just like se season two for Fred Armisen's dad <laughs> character. Oh man. He's, he is just so good. Uh, and then we bring in uh, the hormone monsters, which is, you know, it's a device to explain what's going on inside their heads and bring it into, you know, this is a thing that's been done like a million times before, uh, but never quite in this way. And so it's cool that they brought that in, but this season we deal with like maybe four or five hormone monsters total so now we're like approaching like 30 characters in a half hour comedy show. And then we have the characters like the ghost of Duke Ellington. Yeah, Jordan Peele. Thing is, it's played by Jordan Peele, so they can't write out that character. Yeah. That's Jordan fucking Peele. 
Oscar winner. But that character can get the fuck out. <laughs> There's no need. There are already a bunch of characters that aren't humans that they talk to. You don't need a, a ghost of Duke Ellington. What even? Like, what? Unless you get ghost prince. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you have that. He doesn't need to be there. Um, you have these... You know, we follow pretty closely, especially season two, this coach character, right? Uh, oh, dude, the stuff with the coach is so funny. He is hilarious, oh my God. but it's verging on them falling a little bit in love with the side character who needs to be a side character to stay funny. And Nick uh, Kroll loving that voice. Yeah, he, he, he loves oh, to do the voice. He loves the voices he does. I mean, they clearly love the hormone monsters, which yeah. we could see less of. Then we bring in, we have uh, the shame ghost. Or the Shame Reaper or yeah. something this season. I haven't, I haven't watched enough of the so, season. So, yeah, so this is a, a character that, again, a great device because it, it is a like it is the physical manifestation of all the shame that you go through during puberty. And then it also haunts the adults because shame oh, never ends and revolving around this sex. This is the, the one where Adam gets caught jerking off to the sister's yes. uh, yeah. <laughs> swimsuit. Yes. <laughs> So, Woo! so we get that guy, which I didn't like at first, and then he gets his own episode, and you're like, that was a brilliant episode. So nice. that's all good. Then we just have all these little characters, like any any object that a uh, kid going through puberty humps is uh, anthropomorphic. All of them. Like, it keeps going. They're in, in the first season, there were the pillows that Jason Manzoukas was fucking. Then They're characters now. Now there's another character humping another thing. That's a character now. And then we have, like, this ladybug who only ever breaks the fourth wall and just talks to the camera. And it's like, get out of my face. Like, there's so much going on. But that's almost a compliment as to how I still think this show is so good. Because, like, <laughs> like d- describing it, it's like, that is a shit show. Yeah. But, like... I really care about pretty much all of the humans that are involved or I'm laughing at them. The jokes, which is, you know, what everything kind of depends on are mostly good. There are plenty of stinkers cause that's how comedy works. Like there's yeah, nothing. It's, it's not going to be a hundred percent. There's yeah. There's no piece of comedy where every joke lands unless you're doing just like a parody because that, that all revolves around such a focus that you can make it. So like everything lands, but this is a zany comedy, so throwing in a bunch of wackadoodle jokes, like the, almost the point is that they're not all going to work, and that's totally fine with me. Like I like I like a flop joke in the middle of like four good ones. I think that's a great ratio. Um, so yeah, this this season like just really impressed me because you it, finished it. Yeah, I finished it really quick. It's a quick watch. It's breezy. It's not something you have to think super hard about. It also manages to have something really important to say about how we need to be communicating more openly about all this stuff that's going on. Um, And they're in the middle of it. There is an episode where they do the whole thing is like almost like a sketch show about like safe sex and just things like that. It's like health class and they turn it into an episode that's actually teaching the viewer because they do know it is on netflix it's you know theoretically it should not be watched by like 12 year olds because it is extremely it's r-rated yeah (laughs) but it's going to be of course it's going to be everything is watched by 12 year olds yeah so they actually managed to sneak in some really valuable lessons about like a sex that like without seeming preachy which is Something that I struggle with during on a uh, BoJack. It's almost like you want to show it to your yeah kids. Yeah, it's extremely risque, obviously. But like that's the only episode that verges on being too preachy. Uh, everything else is just not, and yet it still is like semi woke. But it's not like trying so hard to just be like 
actually uh, mental health is a serious issue. Blah, blah, blah. Like I get a little bit like I love Bojack and I love like Rick and Morty, but at a certain point it's like, yeah, I get it. You don't have, it's like they're trying to get over this hump of like being a cartoon and being taken seriously. And it's like, no, actually this is like a very significant art form. And it's like, yeah, we, I know that at this yeah. point, tell jokes. Well, no, not just tell jokes, but like, don't uh, weave it in a little bit better as far as Bojack mm-hmm. goes. Like, don't make it so like I know exactly when it's going to get serious or whatever. But anyway, I, that's not even a takeaway from Bojack. I think they're like pretty even with me. I just like this as like a, a zany, fucking wacky slapstick show. It is like slapstick comedy, and it works in 2018. That's it's really like the difficulty meter for this show is super high. I I wish the animation quality was a little better. It's kind of ugly sometimes. Yeah. But that I don't think that's really what they're going for. Either. I mean, that's obviously not what they're going for. That was honestly saying something about the animation quality is kind of one of the things that took me out from the first season. I know that that's not what it's about, but from going from um, something like BoJack, which is very, very clean, to uh, something like Big Mouth, which is very rudimentary in a way like it's there's nothing special about the way that big mouth is animated and it does kind of take a second to get over especially because it is such a um amateur kind of show like in what it's actually about that it does kind of take a minute to get over the uh the amateur animation style which goes along with it which i guess i mean it, it matches up with it but you yeah. just kind of you want it to look a little but bit then, better. like bojack's animation looks incredible and but i also feel like bojack is a show that's made for adults despite the fact that it's animated where something like rick and morty or big mouth are adult focused shows but they're shows that can be watched by children probably yeah um, Especially with Rick and Morty now. Rick and Morty, the whole fan base has gotten completely ruined by kids. Yeah, I mean that that happens to anything. I'm I'm not gonna let it affect how I watch that show. Even though I think there is a drop off in the quality of that show, it's not like all of a sudden that show is just bad because the people who watch it are more annoying. And I think that that's that's kind of a mindset that toxically affects like a lot of really good things out there. Like, because that's just how it works. Everything starts with an older fan base think about facebook it it was only available to college kids so when it became available to high school kids they went insane over facebook yeah. myspace was abandoned immediately because of that like it wasn't because it was better it's way worse um but yeah uh as far as the animation goes it's almost like last week how i was talking about like some some music i really couldn't care less if the lyrics suck because that's not what the music is for like with this show it's like they don't like I know that they don't they're not trying to put this out there and be like hey look at how it looks like I know that that's right, not that's yeah. not what they want me to like look at and that's not what I'm looking at uh you know what I mean I don't know um it's almost like I was just thinking about you know who I was thinking about yesterday is uh Tame Impala cuz they're like one of my favorite bands probably one of all of our favorite bands oh hell yeah their lyrics like mostly suck like they're not yeah. even if they don't suck they're really not good <laughs> like I well, couldn't on the newest album they're they're the best i think the but that song like about just like seeing a girl or whatever 
there's this one song where if you read the lyrics on paper, you're like, oh my god, <laughs> and that's fine. Like for an elephant shaking its big yeah, gray trunk. It's just like for most of their discog, I couldn't even tell you any of the words of their songs because I I've listened to it a million times, yeah. but I do not. I don't well, you think can, you can hardly understand it half the time. Yeah, it's just like I don't think he wants us to really care that much about what he's saying. It's more about what it sounds like, and that's mm-hmm. kind of how I feel about like so, like comedy. Yeah, just about like all art. It's like wh- where they want your focus to be. You know, they didn't go. Yeah, they didn't go ten out of ten in every facet, and that's why it's not the the perfect TV show. I guess you know, it's it's hard to do that. That'll that'll definitely uh, come up when we talk about Suspiria because that's something that i was thinking about just now crappy a lot animation. of similarities between big mouth and Suspiria <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a lot of thematic uh <laughs> both of them really deal with puberty a lot hormone of monsters naked bodies yeah <laughs> uh all right so that's big mouth on netflix uh take us through what you've been watching make it quick too because we're running long oh shit okay damn all right well now i'm gonna take my time talking about them then so um this would have been a Oh boy! <laughs> Sorry, I think that the uh, record skipped our, a bit. Our budget is so low that we can't <laughs> afford a piece of paper <laughs> for that segment. <laughs> no, no, the the record skipped a little bit. It's fine. Oh, okay. Um, so instead, I watched a what would be a Criterion movie on HBO Go, mm, and that was not the same. No, it's not the same. I watched <laughs> Fantastic Mr. Fox. Have you guys ever uh, checked out this movie? Yeah, by classic. Wesley Anderson? It's yeah, a it's a Wesley. ten is that a ten year old movie at this point? Uh it's something I think it might actually I think it might be like a twelve year old movie. It's a pretty older movie at this point. But um I had actually never seen this. This might be the only Wes Anderson movie oh. that I've never seen before. It'll be ten next year. Oh okay, okay so it was oh nine. Um so I wanted to check this out because I recently got Isle of Dogs and I've been kind of thinking about doing it for a while now, doing a little bit of a ranking of Wes Anderson's movies. Um, I just recently watched Bottle Rocket, which I talked about on the podcast, but I really wanted to see Fantastic Mr. Fox. And I think this movie, it's really, really good. Um, I don't think it's as good as Isle of Dogs uh, when comparing the kind of uh, animated style of movies that Wes Anderson's made in the past. But uh, I would say that this is definitely... It has better characters, but it doesn't have the same heart that Isle of Dogs does. Isle of Dogs has a lot of heart, that movie does. Like It's really a great feel-good movie, and this doesn't have the same bit of a like kind of emotional ethos to it uh i mean the cast is amazing as is in any wes anderson movie george clooney plays mr fox meryl street plays his wife mrs fox and uh jason schwartzman is the son bill murray's in there of course as he is in every wes anderson movie and they're all amazing i mean the story it's really fun it's only like an hour and a half long so it's a really light and fun movie but um, I, I I definitely would put this on the upper echelon of Wes Anderson movies. I It's hard to kind of criticize Wes Anderson because I don't think he's ever made a bad movie from his, uh, I want to say, nine movies that he's directed. Something like that. Eight or nine movies. Um, 
he's never really made a bad one. This is still in the upper echelon. Even if it doesn't have the same heart, I feel like the classic Wes Anderson dialogue really, really hits in this movie. Like it doesn't necessarily in a lot of his other movies. Deadpan humor. It's a little clever. Uh, oh. Like there's a Perky. there's an extended bit because um, Mr. Fox has he has a catchphrase thing that he does where he goes. Something like that. You it's can something. Edit, it's edit something. That in post. Yeah, we'll, we'll edit that. Um, it's something along those lines, and it's it's <laughs> really good. And then um, the uh, the weasel or whatever that's played by Bill Murray is like, I'm gonna make my own catchphrase. Is that that's like your catchphrase, right? I'm gonna make my own catchphrase. And he does this whole thing. He's like, ha ha, <laughs> boop boop. <laughs> it's it's really funny where it's like this whole thing. It's like so is that is that your catchphrase now? What actually, are you, what are you doing? Bill Murray plays Badger. Badger, that's what it is. And Wes Anderson plays Weasel. Mm. Yeah, Wes or he plays like a rat person in this oh, okay. movie, which is a rat person. It's it. He's a rat, oh, but okay. it's he's only in a couple of scenes. It's genuinely great because. Wes Anderson isn't really an actor, and he's going so over the top as this, like, slimy rat that works for the humans and everything else. Holy shit, Brian Cox is in this yeah, movie. Yeah, Brian Cox is a, uh, he's the news anchor, and he is, he's <laughs> awesome in this movie. Nice. I'm hearing, I'm hearing a lot of similarities with Isle of Dogs. Oh, I mean, there's definitely, it has that same kind of grimy animated, uh, quality to it but i feel like it almost works better in isle of dogs because they're like dogs on a trash island and yeah. everything else so it works a little bit better in that than it does in something mm -hmm. where it's like oh these are just a fox in them just hanging out in a tree true um but it does it has the same kind of charm that isle of dogs every does. every wes anderson is basically the same story Wes and Anderson, just, I'll say it, he's a white exploitation artist. <laughs> he he takes advantage of what we naturally like. Every every movie that he makes is basically about some sort of misfit family where one of them goes on an adventure or they all go on an, on an adventure. It's always an adventure. It's always one guy who like runs away, tries to find a love. But I mean, I feel like uh a reason why a lot of people say this is the best Wes Anderson movie, and um, even if I don't necessarily agree, really? that's the best Wes Anderson. Oh, that's say that? yes, a lot of people definitely. say that this is the best Wes Anderson yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah. And um, even if I don't necessarily agree with that, what's cool about that is that um, as much as Mr. Fox is the main character, his son uh, Ashy, who's played by Jason Schwartzman, is this son who is he's just like i want to be an athlete but he's like smaller and there's this nephew that comes along who's much more physically gifted than he is in every possible way but the fact that he's just trying to do this thing and he tries to go on this adventure to like make his dad proud of him and it just fails horribly and it gets his <laughs> cousin captured and everything else and um it's, it's just, very subversive yeah, no, but I mean, it really is like a genuinely charming movie, and uh, the actual uh, message, I guess, of this movie isn't as necessarily in your face as Isle of Dogs, which might take away from the emotional core that it had that Isle of Dogs had, but it isn't as upfront, where it's more so just about like, hey, like take care of 
the environment and take care of animals around you because we are all one family and everything else like that. And this maybe never actually has to explicitly say that in any kind of a way, but that's just kind of your overall takeaway is that like, hey, I just kind of want to like take care of my family so that and my animals in my neighborhood and my environment so that they don't come in uh, through a sewer grate and loot all of my <laughs> kitchen shit. So... <laughs> No, I would definitely recommend this, though, if you have HBO. Um, check this out. HBO actually has a few different um, Wes Anderson movies. So, I mean, if there's anything on there, like I said, Wes Anderson, I don't think he's ever put out a bad movie. Um, Bottle Rocket, I think, is my least favorite of his movies, which I know you might disagree with, Drew. but uh, They're all in the same area for me, honestly. But, yeah, no, I mean, this is a... It looks like it's the only one on HBO, as far as I can see. Maybe I saw it on a couple. I know there's some on Amazon, HBO. Mm-hmm. There's, they're scattered throughout the yeah. the streaming verse. You know, so. he's one of those dudes where like I when you, when I think about him for some reason I just want to like be like ah you know that guy I get it, but then you watch his movies and you're like man there's nothing else like it's it. like it's just like why yeah why are you so good at that bro like quit yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why are you gonna do that. <laughs> Like, it's the same shit, and it always works, and it's just like, damn, bro. It really is. I mean, his movies, like, they share so many similarities. Yeah, and, and they all they all have just the immaculate, like, tedious shot compositions, yeah. and it's like, I get it, but They're then it's beautiful. still like, God damn it, that looks good. Wes, what the hell? And kind of, that's the thing where, like, I almost, even if they share a lot of similarities with movies that he's done in the past, I have to give an edge because he's doing something with, like, a claymation kind of stop-motion style, and it just looks so fucking good. Like, the, sh- the fact that you can compose these beautiful shots when you're dealing with stop motion is just, like, that's so difficult. As people, like, if you've never made a movie, you can't understand, like, how difficult that is to actually choreograph something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's absurd. Because when you're directing something at stop motion, you're basically also a choreographer at that point. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's just unbelievable the stuff that he does. I think this is based off of the children's book, actually. You, yeah, you're, that is correct. Yeah, um, I never read the book itself, but yeah, I never checked this out uh, before, but I did, and I am happy that I did. It's a good movie. What other is this? The only other one you had left to see? I think so. I've seen. Uh, Have you seen Darjeeling Limited? I. I need to rewatch that because I've seen it before, but it was a long, long time ago. So that one's that one was the one he made right before Fantastic Fox. Yeah, um, I've seen Rushmore, Foxing, Royal Tenenbaums. Whoa, the the Fantastic Fleet Foxing. Yeah, Swiper Foxing. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I mean. I, I want to do a ranking. Uh, just off the top of your head, what are you guys' favorite uh, West Grand Anderson's? Budapest. Oh, fuck, man. Rushmore is in my top three. Uh, Zisu is up there, but it's not number one. Yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. They're all, all They all share so much DNA, and yet they have the crucial differences that make them individual movies and, like, not... I never really, when I'm watching them, I'm never, I'm never like, man, this is so much like that other West movie. Even if you, when you break it down, it is, but you never really feel like that. No, exactly. Yeah. They Sable, all feel, they're, they're all so short that yeah. it just feels like a, just a nice yeah. ride. You're, and and yeah. he's able to put different skins on mm-hmm. all of them yeah. that Was, all c- are cut from the same cloth. Wasn't, wasn't a huge fan of that uh, puberty movie with the boys. Oh, Moonrise. That was Moonrise that's pro- that that's in my bottom half. I would say, dude, Ed Norton in that movie though. 
Ed you Norton know I've and never Bruce seen, Willis. I've never seen Moonrise Kingdom. Oh, that might be the last uh, Wes Anderson movie that I need to watch. It's like that movie has the quirkiness turned up to 11. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's how uh, Life of Zizou is, too. Like, that movie is the most Wes Anderson-y movie no, I've dude, ever seen. Moonrise is even more it's than absurd. Zizou. Because like, Zizou is at least like you're out at sea and like you're in a, you're in a boat, you're in a submarine. Just like. The set designs of that movie are insane. How yeah. there's like pulled out and you're just like walking through all these different cabins, yeah. but it's like all you know obviously like cut in half that you're just looking at. <laughs> you know what really brings that movie down just a little bit? Just because it's all looks so perfect usually. The animated like sharks and shit look like ass. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They no. look like shit. Um, which is just so out of place. Uh but yeah, Moonrise is like it's like, yeah, I think Wes Anderson might want to like bang a twelve year old. Maybe at the, the least he has like some unfinished business. Relating, <laughs> it's I don't know. It's just the movie just made me feel weird. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was all right. All right. Um, well, <laughs> let's let's see. Right, so there's our take on. I don't uh, want to start a Wes feud Anderson. with Wes. Listen, Wes, I'm sorry. Wes is coming onto the pod next week. Oh, he's at. He just sent me a message. He's listening live he's on not Patreon. He says he's not coming in anymore. <laughs> yeah, so. he just canceled. Fuck. I guess we got. I guess we got to talk about like. I'm not saying you want to. I'm just. I guess saying we got to talk about fucking the Nutcracker. Yeah. The new Nutcracker. You're movie fucking now. the Nutcracker. <laughs> so he just said. Wait, what's up? Um. So moving on, speaking of spooky things like Wes Anderson fucking the Nutcracker, let's talk about Hotel Transylvania series. Ooh. Have you guys ever seen any Hotel Transylvania movies? Nah. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm, I'm going to talk for a lot um, for extended period of time now. Um, so I just saw Hotel Transylvania 3 this week. I have Summer seen the vacation. other. What? Yeah. Summer vacation. Summer vacation. I've seen the other two Hotel Transylvania movies, and honestly, like, as far as recent kid like quote unquote kids movies go, these movies are really good. Yeah, these like, are these are movies that critically they get pretty like solid reviews and then they also are consistent box office performers, even though they don't blow up like that crappy like Imagine Studios or whatever it is. Yeah. They still perform. They're like, uh, they do well. I think they're a Sony animated yeah. picture studio. All these movies get but, like in upwards of a hundred mil. Yeah, no, I mean Hotel Transylvania was once again. It's still kind of deliver on the same things. I would definitely say that this is the worst of the trilogy. Um, I really, I love Hotel Transylvania too. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie, you guys. Like that movie is great. Like because it really, it feels like it's three different movies. It, like it's truly three acts. It's a gun, and girl. it only takes place <laughs> in an hour and a half. Like it's it's incredible. Like you're watching. It was almost like I was watching like a TV series, and it was like, oh, it's all wrapped up in an hour and a half. That's pretty chill. Um, I would definitely recommend what this whole series. What age group are we looking at? Not as like uh, obviously adults can enjoy, it, but what's the target here? Um, I would Under probably 10? say I would probably say like uh between eleven to. 13 true and it's is the, the true so, because okay so the basis of the first uh the first hotel transylvania movie is uh that adam sandler plays count dracula and it's the best adam sandler performance in the last 20 years um better than punch drunk love sorry Ernest. you know yeah. you um, know what i didn't <laughs> talk about actually i watched his new special i'll talk about it next week oh, i've been meaning to see my that. take may shock and amaze you whoa it's no, nah, it's actually not, it's not even a like warm take. It's just, <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, so uh, Count Dracula 
is played by Adam Sandler, and he has this daughter, Mavis, who is played by Selena Gomez, and it is Selena Gomez's 118th birthday, which is basically her 18th birthday. Yeah, yeah. Vampire uh, years. Tongue in cheek. Wink, wink. Um, (laughs) um, So... It's her Dracula 10th, 18th is, birthday. Dracula wow. is raising this child by himself because his wife dies, like, right whenever Mavis is born. So he's raising this as his, uh, as the single parent, and he's trying to find a way to, like, keep his daughter because he's so attached to her. But suddenly, because they have this business that they run, it's Hotel Transylvania. Um, oh, boy. Epic. And, uh... Of course, there's this dude who's played by Adam, who's played by um, Andy Samberg, okay, who plays a human who happens just like he's just this like kind of stoner classic college bro who, like, uh, by all accounts should be stupid, but I think it's because he's played by Andy Samberg is genuinely great. He's like a backpacker bro who's just like, oh yo, dude, I saw this guy at Coachella last year. It was great. Like Samberg, and is he's, ma- he does so much voice work that you. Wouldn't he's even genuinely like really funny in a role that should be stupid and should not work at all. Like he makes it fucking work. Um, and uh, they, as they say in the movie, they zing, which is uh, they fall in love. Um, and it kind of opens her mind up to the human world and everything else in the second movie. Uh, I'm just kind of going to briefly kind of spoil these movies quickly. Sorry sorry for all the listeners out there. Um, second movie, uh, Mavis gets pregnant and they have a baby. Um, and Dracula has determined that like this baby, he's a fucking vampire. But this baby just l- seems like he's a human, and it's not really looking like this baby is a vampire. He's a muggle, and it's a really like it's really both funny and also kind of heartwarming about this whole message about um, kind of parents and grandparents projecting on their children what they want them to be. And not them just becoming their own people. It actually, all of these movies have awesome messages for both adults and kids. um, Because I feel like you could watch this movie as a child and take like different kind of like pubescent uh, growing up messages from it. And also messages as a parent of just being like, hey, maybe I shouldn't be overprotective or um, over demanding of my child and put the same expectations on them that I had on myself growing up. Um, The third movie is a lot more lighthearted. Um, it definitely still has the same charm and humor of the first couple movies, but um, the message is pretty shaky as far as this movie goes. Um, basically, the main premise is that uh, Count Dracula, he needs a vacation, and Mavis wants to give it to him, so they go on this cruise ship together, and there's a guy there, but oh no, it's actually... it's a uh, fucking um the vampire killer's great great granddaughter or something like that so they he falls in love with this woman but she's like out to kill him and it's kind of trying to make a message about how like even if you get divorced or your wife dies you can still fall in love again but um it's kind of shaky i will say one thing for sure that's good for kids to know (laughs) yeah it's just like hey step parents are still good too (laughs) um one thing i will say is the animation in the series has just gotten better and better true that's cool and the because i feel like the first movie the animation's still solid but i don't think that sony pictures 
land on this being a hit at all. So you can definitely tell there's a massive uptick in the budget that went into this from the first to the second movie. And the third movie, it only gets bigger. Mm. And some of the actual practical gags are genuinely like funny and charming in a way that doesn't really work in a lot of kids' movies. Um, like I would, I would recommend this if you have a child or if you're just in for like a spooky movie, not a scary movie, but just like a spooky movie. It's it's if you're a little baby, if you're a little fun, I would stinker. If I was gonna rate the trilogy, I go two, one, three. But I'd still say that all of these are like not even just kids' movies. I'd say all of these are above average movies. Mm. I would watch all of these movies ten thousand times over a wrinkle True. of time or the predator again. How okay, how so, dare you first of all. <laughs> yeah, no, you're this, right. I said it. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's this isn't even like a positive or negative. It just strikes me as this is filling in the the niche of the demographic of Tim Burton's kids movies, like Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, it's a lot less dark than those movies. True. Like this is a lot like it's genuinely really charming. Yeah. Like, it really, like, it's fun. Like, these movies are really fun. All of them, I don't, th- I think the longest one is like an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah. So there's like a breeze to get through. The voice acting in this in these movies is great. Like, you have Steve Buscemi. You have Kevin James, of course. Um, you have David Spade, who is who plays the Invisible Man. And some of the practical gags with him are great because he's an invisible man. He's just mm-hmm. like, oh, here's my invisible girlfriend. I'm gonna. It's like, oh God! You know what? You're still holding on to this, aren't you? Here's (laughs) here's a here's something for our future. The hill I'll die on segment. David Spade is too much shit. David Spade is great. He's not. He's awesome. He's not not funny. He was in. uh, (laughs) He was in the new uh, the latest season of Love. Oh really? Yeah. He just he gets a lot of shit because he's always a sidekick and he's a little twerpy guy and he's never been the same since Farley. Blah blah blah. But like. He's, it's not like he was ever saying, like, hey, look at me. Like, yeah, no, I mean, he's, he's the David classic Spade. He's a classic side he's, character. He's fucking Cusco, bro. Yeah, no, I mean. He, <laughs> no yeah. one can, really? He's Cusco? Yeah, no yeah, one can Cusco. ever take that away from him. That's his opus. No, I mean, he is he's really <laughs> fun, this movie. Um, I mean, Mel Brooks comes in as Count Dracula's nice. father and oh. stuff like that. Like, there's all kinds are, of fun little are, are the Dracula's like, cameos. Are they pretty Jewish? Because <laughs> Mel Brooks is like the most Jewish guy in the world. He's just like Count Dracula. You got to kneel under the Torah, okay. or whatever Jewish people do. I don't what, know. I, is that what they sound like to you? Yeah. Kneel under the Torah. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta take a break. <laughs> we gotta take a break. Let's get out of here. All right. Well, we might not come right. back. Uh, Drew, you you won't be joining us after the break. Yeah, that's ever, wh- or ever again. That's why I just I fucking rambled on, dude. I gotta say my piece because you guys are just about to just fucking snooze fest it up while we're, we're gone. We're going into another we're, uh, dimension. We're gonna dude. go watch a movie that's a little bit too high intelligent, high concept for Drew, so he wouldn't yeah. really get it. Only only one hundred IQ and it's above. The, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to take a break, and Suspiria, we get back. Later. So, this movie, Suspiria, let's get into it. I just saw it tonight. So, you told me that, and 
that is not what I have recommended. What I would have recommended for this movie. Luckily, I've stewed on this for over 24 hours now, and I'm glad that I had time to sit on this because um, I won't. Before we get into the spoilers in the movie, I'll just say uh, the climax of this movie. I just had my hands over my mouth with my knees tucked up, just going, <laughs> "What the fuck? What 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 the fuck?" I would say that's true for like most of this movie <laughs> like there are extended sequences where i was very disturbed and just at a loss of what i was seeing and so whenever this was announced that uh luca guanadino uh coming off of call me by your name which was a very um a coming of age story but very a love story happy too love story um Whenever it was announced that he was taking over a Suspiria remake, I was very, very perplexed because I know you haven't had a chance to see the original Suspiria, but that movie, uh, whenever it came out, it was known as like one of the most traumatic movies ever. Was it um, 76? 77. So it came out a year before Halloween came out. Um, directed by, written and directed by Dario Argento, who um, is like a classic... Uh, Jello uh director like Italian slasher horror movies and I feel like the more and more that I thought about this the more it made sense and that uh um Luca Guadagnino has had this ability over his films despite them being about uh vastly different things and he also made a movie called uh The Big Splash or something like that. Um, yeah. Well, but, he's had he. I think he was working on like a whole Italian uh, trilogy of some yeah, sort. Yeah, I mean, he is from Italy, of course, as you could probably tell from his language. He he was a homosexual man. He's a homosexual man from from Italy, um, which made sense from by call me by your name. But all of his movies have had a very very visceral and real feeling to them. Which, that was one of those things that the more that I thought about it, the more that I thought, okay, you know what? If anybody's going to make uh, Suspiria in 2018, it would make sense for him to make it. Um, so that being said, what are your thoughts? I was completely transported by this movie. It's a fucking trip. I was gone for two and a half hours. I was somewhere else, man. For six acts in an epilogue. For six acts in an epilogue, exactly. Like, this movie, like, Guaranina is able to put something together that is really bizarre and somehow, like, very original, even though it's a remake. Like, I, I don't know. I never saw the original, so I don't know how much he was able to borrow from that film other than the fact that it's, like, a dance troupe with witches um but i mean i don't really want to get into the specifics until we get to spoilers but overall like just know that you're getting into a movie where shit is gonna get fucked up like this is not call me by your name this is not a fun (laughs) romp around the italian countryside like this movie has there's some no really... fucking a peach that happens in this movie <laughs> yeah. this, this you movie... get fucked by the peach in this movie oh yeah yeah uh, a, a sliced pear is what they call it or whatever it is 
uh no but i i think this this is a brilliant movie i'm i'm still sitting on it and i was just so blown away by so many sequences there there are certain things that i can kind of poke holes in um and we'll get to that in spoilers but overall i just think that this is such a special movie i think this is one of the best movies of the year and i think that it's not it's just one of those movies that you you uh you can't recommend to everyone but if you know what you're getting into if you know that this is something new and uh even though it's not again it's not an original film it's still it feels very fresh and it's unlike anything else that is playing in theaters right now so if you appreciate movies and you appreciate like the cinematic art form this is the movie for you. Like this is one of those. What I love about going to the movies is seeing a movie that respects the audience. And this movie does that. Like it, it never holds your hand. And maybe, maybe like a couple of lines throughout, especially towards the end um, that kind of like tell you pretty blatantly, like what's going on, but it's not enough to like break down the movie or anything. It's, it's it's just conventional storytelling but there's just so much in here that like it trusts you it trusts you to kind of put things together and to think and to be engaged and i don't know we we've seen so many movies this year that i can't remember the last time that i was absolutely like taken away by a movie and just i didn't think about anything else i was in it the whole time i was completely transfixed submerged and tranced everything this movie is amazing i was i loved it yeah um i will say uh despite the fact that this is based off of uh prior ip and everything else um this is by far the most original movie of the year like so, what is it, I've what seen is it shared? Well, we just have to only, talk about it in spoilers. We can go ahead and get into it now because uh, spoilers for the first Suspiria that was made forty-one years ago. If you haven't seen it at this point, then you probably won't see it now. Um, the similarities that they share is that there's a woman named Susie Banyan who goes to Germany to uh, enter into a. Uh, German dance academy and they are run by a witch coven in the original film the whole fact that they're run by a witch coven is a huge twist that you don't you know that there's nothing that there's something going on but you don't necessarily kind of put it together until the end of the movie what I one of the things that I loved about this movie is that it doesn't hold your hand on these things is that they know Luca recognizes that we are more intelligent as an audience now. We've seen so many more movies are coming out each year, uh, especially in the horror genre, that we are able to kind of put things together faster than people were in the mid to late 70s. And so, that being said, they just kind of come right out in the open and say, like, yeah, this is, like, all a front. It's all for, like, a witch coven. In, in the first scene. Yeah. Literally That's the like, first scene. It's very, very in the forefront that, like, yeah, no, this is a witch coven, and we're just kind of going to delve into chaos from there. 
instead, this movie has a awesome twist, which is not something that happens in the first movie whatsoever. Um, and I will say, I've never really been a Dakota Johnson fan, and she really won me over in this movie. She is great. Yeah. We just even saw if her I will in, say um, um, in Bad about, Times at the El Dorado. Yeah. Um, which she is a peripheral character kind of in that movie. And I will say at points, she kind of becomes a peripheral character in this movie, which maybe might be a fault of the movie. Uh, if anything, I felt like this might have been juggling a little bit too many different uh, main storylines at once, which makes it a little bit convoluted, but I agree with you in that I was completely transfixed. And for two and a half hours, this kind of reminded me of the feeling that I had with uh, Blade Runner 2049 last year, where it's a long movie. Slow at times. It's very, very meticulous. And I never felt the time pass. It all felt so methodical in the plotting of this movie that it wasn't anything that I ever felt like it dragged. And I think that that a huge credit of that goes to the performances, um, especially to Tilda Swinton, who plays just, I mean, it, she's come out in the open and say it now, so she plays two different characters in this movie, and she is absolutely unbelievable as um, these this old psychiatrist character and as Madame Blanc, who is a character from the original movie, um, who is kind of this... Uh, person who's running the dance academy. Um, one thing that was really cool about this is that the original movie, the whole dance academy is pretty much just a front, and it never really spends that much time focusing on the art of the dance itself, where I feel like this movie is a lot more balanced than the first movie, where it really feels like the art and the artistic integrity of this dance academy is a huge focus behind all of this witch coven extraterrestrial kind of shit that's well, happening. Well, they're linked. It's yeah. all it's all linked together. It, it doesn't feel like it's two completely different things. Yeah, I mean in uh you haven't seen the original, so I feel like there's a lot of stuff specifically in spoilers that we can get to that um it's certain themes that are more allegorical in the first movie that are much more in the forefront here. Um, like, there is extended shots of uh, newscasters showing the... Um, I can't remember exactly what the flight number is, but oh, there's okay. a flight uh, this that's was a about real, the Palestinian... This was a real-world event. Yeah, in 1977, when this is actually... This is based when the first movie came out... Um, that's this uh, uh, flight that was hijacked by liberals uh, trying to protest yeah, against some, the... some Cold War shit. Yeah, 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 pretty much. Uh, for Palestinian liberation, pretty much. It's kind of the summation of it. And I liked it more, um, even if it kind of bogged down the story at certain points. I liked it made things become a little bit more clear, this kind of constant friction that's happening between society um i feel like it lends itself a lot more to the interpersonal struggles that are happening inside of this coven slash uh dance academy yeah 
yeah i i really want to get the spoilers so let's let's jump in uh i i agree with you though that i can't recommend this movie to everybody yeah. this is right now it's sitting at like a 60 percent on rotten tomatoes really which is not surprising the, at the all. audience score or the critic score um I didn't actually see. I just saw on Google itself that it was at like a sixty or sixty one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I could. This honestly seems kind of like uh, we were talking a little bit before. Yeah, sixty one. Uh, that uh, critics. Score, this yeah. is kind of. Uh, it reminds me a little bit about Mother last year, where I, I talked about before on the podcast. I honestly, I do not like the movie Mother. I think that movie was. Uh, extremely all over the place and fractured in the worst kind of way where I feel like this movie had enough connective tissue to actually make it work. Um, yeah. Well, this, this movie also just has so much more things to juggle. You know, mm-hmm. mother is like in one house there, I, there, there's obviously a lot going on, but uh, this, this movie feels uh, S- Suspiria is trying to work with a lot more gears to kind of cog together and sometimes it's not perfect but i think for the most part it succeeds i i Mm. think that um i don't know there's just moments in this movie that just really took me by surprise in really interesting ways like certain moments of intense like i don't i don't want to give anything away but like this movie gets like kind of uh grotesque oh points oh it's and so so, visceral (laughs) yeah so uh go into this movie knowing that like it's borderline horror at some points it's not a horror movie but it has sequences of like intense gore and like really upsetting imagery Mm -hmm. um but all of that really worked for me and there's like different varieties of it like there's times where like it's really terrifying there's times where it's kind of beautiful and there's other times where it's like kind of almost like really campy and corny. So you get you get this mixed bag of like a lot of different types of of gore and, and violence and, and uh, grotesqueness. Uh, I, I appreciated it. You know, that some people are, are going to be turned off by that. And the fact that like Guadagnino is trying to kind of mix together different types of imagery and 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 gore and effects into this thing um but again there's just nothing like this movie out right now yep. um especially a movie that it's not your your everyday horror movie you know it's not you can't really sell this as a horror movie even though they're kind of trying to uh it's very much a suspense thriller with horror elements that's like the closest thing i could i could say that it is uh but the things that shine for me are tilda swinton for sure like that's that's the performance of the movie for me and i like the fact that it's um pretty much all female cast you know like and it's not it's it doesn't make that a thing in yeah. the movie it's just it's a movie about dancers and witches and it just happens to be an all-female the cast. closest thing that that comes to is there's a point when there's uh some men that come into the coven yeah. <laughs> and then they just kind of take over them and they're like pointing like they're like poking the penis like they just show like a male penis just poking it with a scythe and like laughing, laughing. Yeah. yeah and that's like kind of the only point when the movie actually makes that um 
I feel like that might be one of the things that's going to hurt this movie is that it is kind of being marketed as a horror movie, and it's not... I wouldn't say that this movie is ever scary at any point, as grotesque as it can be. Um, I mean, there, I, are, there are scenes that are hard to watch. Oh, I mean, yeah, I, I agree with it's you. scary but, in the sense that, like, you feel unsettled. But it's not scary in the sense of the modern horror genre which is kind of the jump scary thing yeah. when something happens here you are forced to watch it for the next two and a half minutes yeah <laughs> and like as much as you want to look away it's just going to keep happening in front of you on the screen but it's not it never gets like overindulgent it's not like i mean we'll get into we'll get into it <laughs> it but... kind of does at some points but it's in the best kind of way yeah i i want to i want to get to it so if, if we want to rate it i'm i'm feeling like a a nine to ten on this like wow like wow not quite a ten because it's so fresh you know it's still like very fresh in my mind uh and there are things that like i can kind of point out that aren't quite up to perfection but it's just so damn good. Like it's, it's so good. It's you easily know, a nine. You want to note something that's even more impressive about that is that Luca Guadagnino was working on this movie and Call Me by Your Name at the same time. Amazing. Which is two, like I can't imagine two more polar opposite movies to work on at the exact same time for yeah. a director. Yeah, I can't for I can't, these two movies. I can't quite give it a ten because I kind of want to sit on it. Yeah, and you know, see what the the time does to my feeling but just fresh off the off the watch right now like definitely a nine it's amazing what it's gonna be on my top 10 for sure yeah i i i'm actually i'm surprised i wasn't expecting you to be as high on this but i'm i'm happy to hear it i mean this is this is i'd give it definitely i'm probably feeling like a nine now i kind of hesitate to give any movie a 10 just right away just because i feel like Rewatchability and you think how you're gonna see it again? with me. I really want to see it again. I'm gonna try. As unsettling and uncomfortable as this movie made me, this was like it was euphoric at moments in the best kind of way. And I will say that I don't know if I feel like there's a lot of different aspects that go into this, but I mean, there's a lot of violence and nudity that's in this movie, but it's never in a um explo- uh exploitative way. That I don't know if it was because Luca Guadagnino is a homosexual man or something like that, but oh, interesting! I didn't even think of that. But it's very empowering in a way that it depicts the nudity and the um, kind of the female pride that's never in in any kind of way an indulgent manner. Like it's very much just kind of. It's upsetting and also very, very empowering in a way that you would never have expected from a movie like this. And that's kind of one of those things that's been sitting with me more than anything else is that, like, just there's a there's a couple of lines in this movie that have just really, really stuck with me. And one of them is just, like, always listen to women. <laughs> it's just kind of like one of those things that's like, oh, yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. Another one is, um, today we will break the nose of everything that's beautiful. Whenever that, she yeah. comes, whenever Tilda Swinton's character comes in there, Madame Blanc comes in there and tells the dancers, and I feel like that really kind of uh, is the nail on this whole movie, like nails this whole movie down. That whole theme of something that is so beautiful as dance and is depicted so beautifully through the excellent choreography. The dance but, sequences are 
they're some of the best parts of the whole unbelievable. movie. Unbelievable. They're absolutely unbelievable. And just like seeing that and the way that that will cross cut with something that's so beautiful. The editing in this movie is fantastic. And another yeah. thing before we Very get to the score. Very unconventional too. Um, I thought about get, talking about this while we were talking about music, but I decided to save it for uh, talking about the movie because they're directly related. Is I've been listening to Tom York's score for this movie, which is fantastic. Um, I the original movie, um, the score is written by Goblin, this prog rock kind of band, and although it doesn't have the same uh goblin has this kind of it has this suspiria theme which is almost reminiscent of it sounds like it would fit in with like the halloween movie kind of score where it has that classic horror genre sound to it where it's just this very repeatable score that would repeat throughout the entire movie but this is much better for i feel like a 2018 audience where it's very atmospheric and it's very spacey and the fact that you get tom york's vocals on some of these songs and that spaciness that he brings i feel like just well, lends itself perfectly he, to he the puts movie. some per- some percussion in there too oh at yeah just the right moment yeah it's uh i love the the soundtrack too i mean i'm a big radiohead fan mm-hmm. so i was looking forward to it uh, and of course, you know Johnny Greenwood, the guitarist for Radiohead, is making a little bit of a career uh, doing soundtrack work. Um, and I think that Tom York was able to put something together that f- feels like it, it it almost doesn't fit quite right sometimes, but it works because you kind of want to create that feeling of like unsettledness you know a lot of times movie soundtracks just kind of blend in to the movie and you bear you don't even notice them but this one like i noticed it and sometimes i noticed it because it was kind of not fitting exactly right into the scene but i think it works yeah and i agree with you and i've actually heard criticism of people saying that it doesn't fit in with this with what's happening on the screen so it didn't work for them for me that the jarring of hearing tom tom yark's bleh, tom yark tom york's vocals tom yark tom yark's <laughs> <laughs> the jarringness of hearing his vocals cut into a scene where you're seeing something that's so unsettling worked for me in the best possible way yeah. even if it is jarring at first whenever you hear this melodic piano kick in and you're like wait what like <laughs> as the scene goes on because it's i feel like it works like luca's um his directing lends perfectly to the score in that he has these long drawn out scenes and that's oh, some what, great long takes. And that's what works perfectly with this uh, Tom York score that they both of them just linger on and they linger there forever. Um, that's why I kind of keep bringing myself back to uh, Blade Runner 2049. Both of them are like two and a half hour, 240 minute movies that yeah. um, where they just have long takes where they just. This movie is gonna test people's patience, dude. I could I could feel it in my theater that like people were uneasy. Like there was this some some people were being disrespectful. There were these guys behind me who just like were talking to each other the whole time, 
and then there was this one guy kind of in a few rows in front of me who checked his phone a couple times and i could just feel the energy like in these people around it wasn't a very crowded theater it was only maybe a dozen people or, or <laughs> less uh but people i could feel the the impatience of this movie that was kind of taking its time and even like earlier we were talking about red dead and how the, the here's a game that is like demanding your patience and there's just not enough art that does that and mm. i think i really appreciate when a movie like takes its time you know this movie more than anything else it's it's like it's very very highbrow and I feel like that's why a lot of people, not to insult people's intelligence, like I understand if you don't like this it's movie, just I'm not going to say in, that though. you're like a stupid person or something like that. But this is like a very, very highbrow and intelligent movie. Um, and I mean, it's kind of this mix of this movie. It's going to test your patience and test your intelligence of putting these pieces together while also being a gory bloodbath. And those are two of my favorite things. So this yeah. was like a match made in heaven for me. Yeah. Uh, let's get to spoilers for Suspiria starting right now. So if you don't want to know what happens in the movie, come back once you've seen it. Go see this movie. Don't go see the Nutcracker in the Four Realms. Yeah. Go see this movie instead. All right. So to that point you just made about highbrow, the main things that jumped into my mind were the nightmare sequences okay that shit you just don't see that ever so and the editing that they do and like just the slight level of detail in some of these shots that you only see for like a fraction of a second i was like oh my god like the amount of work that went into these sequences that just goes by in a flash like you gotta marvel at that you gotta like take a second to like breathe that in and be like oh my god the artistry behind and think about how many times that you see dream and nightmare sequences go wrong in movies yeah (laughs) think about batman versus superman think about those dream sequences versus something like this and it's just it's like you said like you have to just marvel at it like it's unbelievable that it feels like a nightmare. Like it genuinely feels like a nightmare. Because it escalates to the point where like yeah. you're you're sweating. And another thing to keep in mind about this is that you're kind of I don't know if you had the same feeling that I did where the witches make it very clear in the first or second scene when um Susie Banyan has these nightmares that they cast these nightmares on all of the girls that are there. So you can't even necessarily tell what is actually happening and what is true. And what is just something that's being projected onto them into their dreams? Well, yeah, but then you're totally right. But then once you get to the very end of the movie and you realize that, like, there are things happening that their memories just get erased. Yeah. So you they don't even know what is even a memory or a dream or a nightmare or anything like their sense of reality is just so completely warped that they can't possibly face the the fucking uh brutality of what this place really is because they don't know if it's real or not so i don't know if you stayed because i didn't but i discovered this afterwards that there actually is a post credits oh shit i did not stay um it's very very short from what i've seen um it's basically the mind wiping technique 
it's Dakota Johnson looking into the camera and doing the mind wiping thing, basically like wiping the audience's oh, memory that's of everything neat. they've seen. That's yeah, which neat. is a really cool like little thing that they put in there. Um, I want to talk about that ending. Yeah, well, I wish last... I wish that we we don't have a lot of time. I wish we could go through every act and talk about every act. Yeah, uh, but we just don't have that that time. But the the ending of this movie when you kind of get this twist, this reveal that Dakota Johnson is the sus- she's Mother Suspirium, Mother Suspirium reincarnated. Is that basically what it is? Like this, like yeah, essentially, eternal spirit is being passed down by some sort of bloodline. See, this is one of my gripes with the movie. A little bit is this twist: the fact that like it's not clear um, if the the character, the Dakota Johnson character, was always aware of her state, of her ability, of her being, of her true self, or if she kind of comes to her own once she begins dancing. I don't think that's ever clear. I um, think so. Me it's personally, maybe maybe it's up to interpretation. Yeah, I mean, again, this I, I think it's entirely up to interpretation. What I personally took out of it was that she is always aware. Um, that's why and she, she comes always, there deliberately yeah, to do, and she kind of has this like humor about her, which I've been kind of thinking back to some of her scenes. Like whenever you see the scene of them like poking the police officer with a knife, like in the penis and stuff like that, she just like looks at it and giggles and she's stuff like that. She's not horrified. No, exactly. Yeah, it's right. one of those things where like a lot of the other girls escaped and they were just like they're witches, they're witches. <laughs> like a uh, Chloe Grace Moretz, who the yeah. movie actually starts with. Um, she's like horrified by the whole thing, but she's just kind of amused by it all, which makes, which leads me to believe that, uh, these nightmare sequences and stuff like that they're, they're projecting is almost just, that's all that they are. They're just projections. They aren't actually things, they aren't actually her memories. This is just, uh, a being that has always been there. And maybe it's something because this has led to, uh, this whole, there's, like three different stories which is kind of one of my gripes with the movie is that does get a little bit bogged down a little bit at certain points with all these different storylines um and one of the storylines is this kind of feuding that happens on that happens within the coven between uh mother marco and mother blanc um and this vying for power that kind of happens, which is vaguely there, but I don't think that took up too much time of the movie. Though. It didn't take up too much time. But it was kind of one of those things where it was like, and okay, what is this getting at? Well, really? I, I loved one of my favorite moments in the whole movie is this. I think it's the first time that that little subplot is introduced where we get this amazing tracking shot of the camera just floating in the dining area, in the kitchen dining area. And we don't know it at the time. It's revealed a few scenes later, but they're communicating with each other telepathically to vote on the next leader. And all we hear is just a voiceover of them voting. And it just blew my fucking mind. That like 20 minutes later, I realized that that was happening in real time, that they were communicating with each other in their minds. Like, I love that. That was so, so well done. Especially like, um, and I love that scene, especially like a couple scenes later, whenever we go back to them sitting there at the dinner table and we see Mother Marco just stab herself in the fucking throat. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's just, it's such a shocking scene. But then it, 
I the reason why that all kind of it still came together for me in a way it was that Mother Marco kind of represents the old way of this witch coven, um, and then representing this classical we have to find a sacrifice kind of ideal where uh Madame Blanc was more of a she's more focused on the artistic which is not something at all which was in the original movie but i mean you can really tell i was kept waiting for her to go full jk simmons whiplash style on these <laughs> dancers but it never really happened but um she was really focused on like we have to you have to get these jumps right you have to do these kind of things which shouldn't really matter if they're just fucking witches just looking for a sacrifice but you can tell that she really cares about perfecting the performances that these people are putting on well i I think that um well at least the way i read it is that because the the dance is intrinsically linked to the witchcraft the dance has to be right for the spells to be right so if they fuck up the the dance they fuck up the spell so i think i that's kind of how i saw it is that like she needed the dance to be absolutely pitch perfect to not have to worry about the spell going wrong. That's kind of how I, how I saw it. Um, but I, I did, I just think that that, that whole idea is just communicated pretty much perfectly in the, in the, the dance sequences, particularly the first one where the, uh, Olivia character <sighs> is trapped in the, uh, the mirror room, which by the way, that mirror room is so fucking cool because, <laughs> Obviously, it's a camera in a mirror room, and you don't see the camera in any of the reflections. It's seamless. I didn't even think about that, but that is it's, genius. It's seamless. how they did like that. you're just in this in this four walled mirror room and completely surrounded by reflections of itself, and it's like you just feel like you're in this pocket of reality, and this Olivia girl is completely like flipped in not entirely flipped inside out but like her bones are just like jumbled up yeah i mean with every move and cut that Susie makes her body contorts in this disgusting way that was probably the most unsettling scene of the entire movie for me but that's it happened so early on that you know you're in for some crazy yeah no it really it happens in the first third of the movie and like as you're like I was watching it, and, I mean, I'm good with watching movies, like, in a theater and everything, but I audibly, like, quietly was just like, what the fuck? (laughs) What the fuck? Like, holy shit. It's so well done, too. It's so masterfully done, like, and... And it looks great. Yeah, no, that's the thing, is that a lot of people have shit on the visual effects, and, you know, we can talk a little bit about this satanic mother monster, but... I really liked the visual effects of this movie. Like, I thought that for the most part, they were done incredibly well. Yeah, like, and I, even I mean, the there's so much practical work here. Yeah, like, even the the Tilda Swinton old man character, which was, I I, you know, I had heard something about this. It was a and, rumor, but then and she, I saw it. They were and denying I was like, it for a long time. I saw it, and I was like, "There's no way that's her. <laughs> that looks like an old man." But then as I as I watched the performance, I was like, there's something wrong with this old yep. man. The, he's he's a he's a bad actor or there's <laughs> just something happening. You know, at one point towards the end of the movie, actually, because I, by 
you know, by the end, I, I had completely forgotten the notion that that wasn't an actual old man. I was thinking, you know, they just cast an, a guy because he looked old and sad. And he's not really a good actor. He just looks like he's a sad old man. But man, like, that's fucking Tilda Swinton in layers and layers of makeup. That's insane. Yeah. It's fucking insane. It, it really is insane. And this like, movie should win and be nominated or nominated and win for makeup at the yeah, Oscars. Oh, it yeah, needs yeah. to. It really should. It's not going to be nominated for anything at the Oscars, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, because I feel like half I would of the nominate voters, her. For, half of the uh, voters are going to watch half of this. They'll get to that first scene off. and be like, nope, I'm good. <laughs> I would nominate Tilda Swinton for acting, for supporting. I, I definitely, I really think that she gave the best supporting actress role that I've seen this yeah. year. But I, I mean, don't think arguably she is role. the lead, but she should just go for supporting. Well, okay, so here's the thing. I mean, we were talking a little bit about these three different uh, roles that are happening. I mean, Tilda Swinton is really the lead, quote unquote, in two of them. Um one being the witch coven role, one being these this old man uh psychiatrist role, and the other one being Susie's role. And I feel like Susie kind of gets sidelined a little bit in this movie. I did think uh didn't... Dakota Johnson did a great job. Though. She did a great job. And honestly, like I've never been a fan of her. I always thought that she was kind of overrated and overcast for the things I that think she was she in. Absolutely killed it here. But she was she was great in this role. Um her dancing is that her dancing for most of that? No, oh, yeah. Um, so they actually, I've been, I was looking and I was listening to a lot of interviews and kind of reading stuff about uh, the production of this movie, and they were like sending while she was working on Fifty Shades Freed, they were sending choreographers like in between her takes to her to trailer practice to moves. practice the moves. And everything. Oh, that's, that's her so dancing, cool. which is incredible, and she's not going to get enough recognition for how amazing yeah. she does I mean, these her kind audition, of interpretive dances. Her audition's awesome. It, t- it took my breath away. It really does. And that's kind of the only time in the movie where the dancing is clear. Um, I think that as great as the choreography was, um, it is, it's choppy, which I think works because of the contrast of the beauty that is this dancing with the grotesque nature of some of the yeah. other stuff that you're seeing. But, Especially towards the end, kind of the final moment uh, that we whenever, get. Well, whenever they perform uh, Volk. When, when Sarah is yeah. beneath and her bone gets snapped. Yeah. Um, I thought that could have been a little bit more elegant. I think this is another one of my gripes is the movie feels very elegant for most of it. And as we get into the rounding and the, the, the final couple acts or so the final two acts five and six it starts to lose some of that elegance and it 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 gets a little bit more grime on it um and the movie sort of becomes this it 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 starts to gain like some layers of like blood and dirt and grime and it's it doesn't feel as again elegant as it once was and I kind of miss that about it. It's still great. It just sort of becomes something else. And we can kind of talk about that final sequence if you want. Yeah, well, I mean, what I was going to say was that I feel like it could have been executed a little bit better. But I think that what it was going for was, as the movie went along, pointing out that there are all of these different layers. That on top of all this elegance and beauty, there is something really deep and dark and evil 
about this kind of nature that's underneath the surface of everything is that this elegance and beauty is kind of all surface level. And maybe duality. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Because and that's kind about... of hiding this underlayer, this dark underlayer that it has. And as the end comes up, those two, the border separating those two things become smaller and smaller. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Think about the the setting it's the cold war it's yeah the, this border is the berlin wall it's a divided berlin so, so that's that's why i wanted to talk about about the allegory uh where this movie it is definitely more in the forefront and i do think that if there was any parts of this movie that could have been cut out it would have been a little bit that's kind of on the surface of just like oh yeah Cold War is bad. Like, yeah, yeah. Because I was kind of thinking, bad. like, why, why set it, it in Berlin, in divided Berlin? Why set it in? But this... that's the whole point: is exactly. showing this duality, and um, that makes a lot of sense. Especially like whenever you think think about all of the people who were sitting idly by in Germany, watching Jews get dragged off of the street and then doing nothing, and then they can only act whenever they're cornered and have to face action. I feel like that's kind of a strong point that this movie was making. Was Especially that, with the psychiatrist character. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Specifically with him is that this movie, it's all about, like, when you come in the very beginning of the movie, whenever uh, Chloe uh, Grace Moretz, whenever she comes in, he just, like, writes down, like, the delusions are taking over her mind. And he never actually listens to anything that she's saying until he is cornered and faced with the reality that he's facing um which is just kind of it's i feel like it was a message and it was a little bit clumsily executed i could have handled it being a little bit cleaner but for a movie that's juggling so many parts i think that it did as well as it could especially i don't think it ever about, i don't think it ever drops the ball no right. it, it it doesn't even if it stumbles it yeah. still keeps you going in right it. and i think that uh, talking about this duality between the grace and the gruesomeness, I think it all comes to a head in the end in a scene which is unbelievably well choreographed oh. and haunting at the same time. I'm still thinking about like, it. Like I can't again, it's I can't stop thinking about it. Shit. It like it almost had me in like in tears with how unsettling it all was. And beautiful. Well, it, it doesn't get into it immediately. It, no. The suspense builds because we're introduced to this room where it looks like some fucking satanic shit out of the gate. And we're seeing, like, the women that we've been watching this whole movie, like, doing this really fucked up looking dance. And they're naked. They're and, naked or they have, like, fur belts on or and, something like and that. And there's, like, but... chants going on. And it, it just feels very unsettling and and something you know something's not right and we're finally introduced to um mother uh Mar marco marco mm -hmm. yeah and she is just this disgusting gross slimy looking lady uh and she um that looked practical i don't know if it 100 percent was, was yeah. but she it looked, looked like jabba the hut yeah but... <laughs> it didn't look it didn't look you know amazing or incredible but it, it definitely looked practical which i appreciate and this is what i what i mean about the movie starting to lose a little bit of its elegance that this sequence was starts to play out as dakota johnson reveals her uh states her true self of being mother suspirium suspirium 
what what is the full suspirium suspirium yeah um she summons this essentially like the devil like death itself yeah like that's what i took it as and then every person who voted for marco over blanc was yeah. just gruesomely murder and the most campy and perfect kind of way yeah where they're just well, he- also, their head just fucking explodes also the camera the well, way that the well blanc, shades to... blanc herself the yeah. way she is not even killed off because she's sort of still half alive but her neck gets like almost all the way chopped up yeah. and like the way that's done it's like snaps her neck it the shot of that happening it's like it felt very out of place but it seemed like Guadagnino was like trying to go out of his way to like I don't know to give us something different to not cut to like a fully CGI shot mm-hmm. to kind of do something practical and like maybe harken back to like seventies filmmaking when you had to do it practical yeah so it it didn't look like as good as it could have but it. I appreciated that shot and just like how jarring it was to see like whoa like that's straight out of the fucking seventies right there of that oh, head yeah. just like no, tipping I mean, off and the blood just you are you are completely right and I feel like that's exactly what he was going for there that it does feel even if it is jarring I loved seeing something like that like I would rather the... see something like that than anything that's like computer generated which yeah. might look better but it feels it feels almost like. Uh, more it it's more jarring to see something like that that's computer generated when you've been so practical there the whole time whenever there's like like there's the scene of uh not to go too far off from the end of the movie but like dakota johnson whenever she's like i have to be on the ground and you see like the hand of mother marco like grazing oh yeah like pulling her in (laughs) almost but like even if it doesn't necessarily look the best like to go from that to something that's just like way too cgi over the top i feel like would have been more um uh i can't think of the quite quite the right right word but a little bit more jarring and out of place yeah and the uh other moments that kind of feel like out of the 70s are those split diopter shots where you get like the close-up of dakota johnson and then it's a split shot with Tilda Swinton standing right behind her and it just it looks like a shot from 40 years ago you know there's these moments like that but let's let's get into this this finale uh because it deserves uh, a, a good meat of the discussion because the way like you were saying like the way the the the, sh- the frame rate and the lighting starts to like get choppy and everything is just covered in red, like blood red. It was like the best version of Mandy. <laughs> it's yeah. just like what, what it, I wanted from the end of Mandy. It just, it kept going and going too. And it would cut to like single shots of the, the women yeah. as they, I guess, said their names. I don't remember exactly what they were saying. No, they were saying like Marco. Like what? Like whenever it was the people oh, the and who they were doing the vote for. Yeah. So that whole deal was, it was just wild. And I, and in the background of all that, you see the women just like scream, like they're literally losing their minds. Yeah. Like, it's just it. It's something that 
I almost even question like how much of that really happened and how much of that was all just we saw inside of the mind of a witch. Well, I think I feel like maybe it all happened because we get there's a shot right at the end of the movie where we see the surviving witches like and they have pile like, up the bodies. Them. Yeah. And they have the blood on them. So I feel like in some form it did happen. I don't know if she literally summoned this demon devil thing, but she definitely has the power to murder and kill them herself, even if she didn't have to summon this creature looking thing. That that creature could have looked a little better, but I didn't really mind it. It was fine. It didn't honestly like I exactly like I didn't take away from the movie for me. It didn't necessarily add anything either. Like it's fine. It looked like it could have been a video game character for all intents and purposes. But But it 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 worked for what was being accomplished in the scene. And I I think that that Dakota Johnson like she she is able to embody all phases of this character from the you know. ohio small town virgin girl to like the up-and-coming dancer who feels like empowered to be this this leader of the troop to the full-on mother suspirium like this such a journey that that's why i just i really really want to re-watch this movie because i feel like she gives such a dynamic performance that Everybody is going to give, and rightly so, give Tilda Swinton all the credit yeah, in the world. Yeah, I mean, she's but amazing. I feel like Dakota Johnson gives an extremely dynamic performance here. Like, especially when, I've just been kind of thinking back on some of the earlier scenes. Like, there's one moment um, when she's saying they're talking with Tilda Swinton. She's just like, what does this feel like to you or anything? And she's just like, I think that this is what it feels like to fuck. And they're uh, like, yeah. oh, to fuck a man? And they're like, no, to like fuck an animal. <laughs> and it's something like that that's just... It's so, it's, it, it's so two-faced Just, yeah. that is kind of encompasses the entire movie where from what you first meet her as this, like you said, this small Ohioan girl who's from a Mennonite family and everything else, but deep down she is like the fucking devil. <laughs> like, and I feel like she really brings that in her performance. Yeah. That, uh, that scene, um... It just makes me think that this movie kind of has a sick sense of humor sometimes. Like, it's not a black comedy by any means, but there, there are There is times, some humor there. There are times where, yeah. like, you're just like, what the fuck? Like, I definitely giggled at points. Some, yeah. Like, there's definitely points. I feel like Luca, like, what he made you laugh in, like, the best moments. Like I said, like, we've talked about it before, but, like, the scene with, like, the cops and stuff like that. Like, that's a funny scene. Yeah. Even if it's fucked up, like, it's still, like, you, you gotta relieve the tension at some points. Yeah. Um, I guess before we wrap it up, I, I wanted to make some stray observa- observations, like, going back to the editing. Um, just when, uh, when we're in these dancing sequences... And it's like built up to her starting to dance and we cut away to something else Mm -hmm. and we don't get that like beat of her dancing. But then we go back to the dance. It just makes you it it really communicates the fact that like the dance itself is linked to something else that's happening. And I think there's there's so many moments in this movie where Guadagnino through the everything through the performance, the, the music, the lighting and the editing all coming together 
And the set design well, for this movie. Yeah, just... but but specifically, they, they were all able to communicate the fact that these are witches and that they're casting spells mm-hmm. and that they are communicating telepathically with each other. Like, I was able to get so much out of uh, to that kind of theme and that idea just through the the filmmaking and his decision making like the i just keep thinking of the moment where olivia uh gives up the leading part and she storms off in a in a fit and she's walking down the stairs and she's approached by the two witches and the movie just kind of starts like spinning itself around and you get these like crazy close-ups and the music swells and you get the sense that like they just fucking cast a spell on her. Yeah. And she's being lured to this mirror room to basically die. And it's crazy that they don't they don't die. Like we see the room with all of these like dancers just being stored there as basically like food. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say of all the things that probably looked the worst, that was probably the thing that that room looked the no just the people themselves oh, they're okay. like zombie bodies or something like that probably they kind of looked like uh the um like the b version of the uh fish man from the shape of water to me maybe yeah. that's just personally <laughs> me and what i was getting from from those vibes yeah. but um those didn't necessarily look the best but i it was just i i think that you're right though that i didn't even necessarily think about that is that they're kind of constantly casting spells that makes me think about the scenes when they're all dancing together and Susie gets the lead role and she's just like I just want to stay down here and then she's just like well if it's more dramatic if I pull up at this point and stuff like that and it's one of those things where it's not it's something that you would think that Madame Blanc would take offense to she like if you were a real teacher, you'd be like, I've been performing this for 40 years. You won't come in here as a newcomer and tell me how to do this. But it's almost something like she truly admires Susie, which um, I feel like works on two different facets. One, in the way that Madame Bloch really represents the artistic style that uh, these this dance academy and these witches stand for. And also that she kind of recognizes the true potential that Susie has, even if she doesn't really know that she is her actually, true. she doesn't know her true form, yeah. but she can at least see the potential of her becoming one of them in the witch coven. Yeah. I, I, I really think that this movie is amazing. <laughs> the more and more it's, that I've, see, this it's is a movie, so good. It's, it's a movie and I'm glad that I thought on this because it was hard for me even to really formulate thoughts coming out of this. I was just like, well, this movie is going to give me nightmares, but I loved it. <laughs> um, but I really think that this is going to be like, I, this is in my top five of the year right now. And the I think more, it'll be in the more too. and more that I think about this, this is like rising up the ranks just because of how impressive, like we can talk about other movies that necessarily uh, are more cohesive or uh, are more fluid with the way that they plot the story, but or even more poignant about yeah, society. Exactly, but I feel like when you talk about the scale, when you talk about all the things, all the pieces that this movie is juggling, mm-hmm. and the success rate of it all, it's really hard to see very many movies that succeed better than this. I totally agree. I I think maybe uh, uh, Ethan Hawke gave a better performance in First Reformed than Tilda Swinton in this one. 
but first reformed was not working with as many yeah. different moving parts <laughs> and it's, and it's so hard scale. to compare like a movie like that with this and it's funny because this is a movie i would be shocked if this movie got nominated for a single oscar maybe for best score I don't even think costume that. design, maybe like something like that, some small thing it would get nominated for and then not even win. Yeah. I mean, makeup. Ma- I would say makeup. Makeup, be- especially in that scene that we were talking about. Um, well, when they costume, perform- costume and makeup. They yeah, that's costume a dual, makeup is the one thing. That's yeah. Um, but like whenever they do the uh, the song Volk, which they say is the last time they're gonna perform this song, and they're wearing these like red cutout things, and then um. Dakota Johnson has the black markings on her face. No, it kind of gave me Black Swan vibes. Yeah. I've never actually seen Black Swan, but that just from yeah, some of the your stuff boy, I've seen. Uh, Aronofsky. That... Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> any any last thoughts? I think um, uh, we've praised it plenty. Yeah, I really think that this movie is truly incredible. I I really can't wait to see it again because I feel like this is a movie that, despite its length, I can't wait to see again because you can really tell, like. Um, from what I've heard in interviews, like this was one of the first movies that Luca ever wanted to make was no a remake way. of this movie. This That's is kind awesome. of like his passion project, and you can tell how much thought he has put into this. And I can't remember exactly. Uh, I'm blanking on the name of the person who actually wrote this movie, but somebody who's uh, worked Dario with before, Argento. No, no, no. Dario Argento is the person who actually uh, directed oh, the original. Oh, you one. mean the new one? Yeah. Um. All I'm right. blanking out his name, but yeah, no, you can tell that this was really a passion project for him, and he really put in so much care and thought into all of this, and I feel like even some of the points, my negative aspects of the movie are issues with necessarily some of the connective tissue coming together, I feel like that's something that's only going to get better with rewatching. I I agree. I definitely want to check it out again. Um, hopefully Drew will get a chance to... Drew will hate it because he's not smart enough for this movie. <laughs> we'll send him to like mid nineties instead or something. Yeah. Oh, I, I still gotta see that. <laughs> Shit. It's starting to pile up. It's that time of year. <laughs> All right. Um, let's wrap it up. You can email us at webottomike at gmail dot com and check us out on Twitter, Instagram at webottomike. Let us know what you thought of Suspiria or Red Dead or anything else, and uh, stay tuned for next week. I think we got. What did what did I say earlier? What was it? I don't oh, know. Oh, the There's... Grinch. Sweet. Um <laughs> You can uh check me out at Twitter and Lairbox at Hunt Mobley. Um I'm gonna try and get up in the next week or two uh my full ranking of Wes Anderson movies. Uh feel free to let me know what you think of my list. If you think that's completely wrong and it's in the wrong order, then uh, let me know. Yeah. And then I'm at Caldernist on Letterboxd and all those things. So check me out on that. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.